VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the program. It's Friday, December the 23rd. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams producing the final edition of Open Line for 2022. So we're looking forward to speaking with you this morning. On a topic of your choosing, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial is 273-5211, or elsewhere it's toll-free long distance 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. All right, well, we made it. Well, I guess we almost made it up until 12 o'clock. Really do want to pepper the show with whatever you think is going to be maybe festive and positive, and even some of the big issues of the day. We're not going to turn away any of the controversy and or the pleasantries, but Please do indeed take the opportunity to join us live on the show this morning, the last show of the year. Whew. All right, two more sleeps till Christmas Day. And I know it's not Christmas is not the only focus throughout this holiday season, but two more sleeps for many of the kids who are, of course, in hot anticipation for what might uh, be found under the tree. And three more sleeps until we see Zach Dean and Team Canada at the World Juniors, of course, between Moncton and Halifax. I'm looking forward to it zoning out and watching a bit of junior hockey. And last night, Alex Ovechkin became the NHL player with the most shots on net in history. He just overtook Ray Bork. Interesting that a defenseman would be number two on the list at this moment in time. Ovechkin's fired 6,211 pucks on net. Some pretty big names in the top ten. So Bork, Yager, Dion, Esposito, McInnes, Gartner, Gretzky, Shanahan, Hall. But they're firing some pucks from all over the place. All right. So it's Tibbs Eve. <laughs> I always get a kick out of the whole Tibbs Eve business because when we were growing up and looking for an excuse to get together with the lads for a couple of sociables, Tibbs Eve wasn't even a thing. So when I returned home from Alberta in 2000, all of a sudden, asked during that first holiday season, what are you doing for Tibbs Eve? And I said, what's Tibbs Eve? So we all know what it is now. Apparently, it originated on the south coast of the island, made its way into the metro area, apparently sometime in the 90s. I guess any excuse, right, to get together. It's all about raising the jar to kick off the holiday season. Some people might do it in quiet fashion at home just to admire their Christmas tree, take a deep breath, having made it through what many people would be taking some holidays. And I know lots of you will be working over the holidays, and we're looking forward to speaking with you as well. But Tibbs Eve, little known fact, there was three co-founders of this celebration. There was Johnny Walker, Captain Morgan, and Uncle Sam. I think they're responsible for Tibbs Eve in full. And interestingly enough, and this was a big part of the tradition in my home, especially when the boys were small, is Twas the Night Before Christmas, of course, written by Clement Clark Moore, was first published, uh, published anonymously in the Troy, New York Sentinel, probably the best-known poem written by an American, basically responsible for the modern Santa Claus lore, and that was published in 1823. And I don't know if this is a holiday-type conversation, but the first successful kidney transplant, transplant in North America, I believe, was in 1954 on this date. Now, we try to keep organ donation near the front burner because it's so critically important. So what you have to do is go through MCP to make your wishes known, and then most importantly, or as importantly, to have that conversation with your friends and family. I guess it's not really the most pleasant topic, but how many Canadians pass away each year and never made their intentions known? So... I'll just throw that out there for your consideration. Let's talk a little travel. And there's lots of travel woes out there, but let's go all the way to space. (laughs) Uh, Earlier this week, the Mars Perseverance rover, of course, the NASA mission to Mars, it placed its first rock sample 
on the red planet surface. So they got another 17 samples in the belly of the rover. So it's going to be fascinating to see how they can execute the Mars sample return campaign. But also yesterday, the robot's last words. My power's really low, so this may be the last image I can send. Apparently, so it had panels that would regenerate the battery. But I suppose, and the argument, or the, pardon me, the issue was made by NASA that it's been so deeply covered with Mars dust that the power is almost out and depleted, but the robot has done its work. And also in the world of travel, today, 36 years ago, this date in history, 36 years ago, the Voyager landed after nine days, becoming the first airplane to fly non-stop around the world without refueling. So a couple of brothers, Dick and Bert Rutan, they on the back of a napkin came up with this vision and sketched out the Voyager. So the cockpit is about the size of a bathtub. So Dick Rutan and his girlfriend, Jana Yeager, at a lunch in 1981, decided that they would be the pilots if they could ever get it made, and they did it. The record still stands to this day. So non-stop, no refueling, nine days, traveled around the planet. Pretty cool. And what does this one say? Oh, the stranded traveler stories are really something else. So WestJet says that most of the stranded people that were in Toronto Pearson trying to make their way to this province, they've taken care of them. Now, not so fast, say some people who have contacted me overnight via email, that they're still stuck, probably not getting out till at least Boxing Day. Then I heard a fellow, a bro, a, pardon me, a friend of mine, Mike Worthington, who's stuck in Toronto as well, and he's flying near Canada. He's got a four-month-old with them, and they're pretty stressed out. But it gets even worse. Like, if indeed some of the aircraft were stranded in some of the cities who have seen pretty severe winter weather, and they don't have an aircraft or a crew to accommodate you. Okay, I guess people can understand that. But it's the communication breakdown that makes it so much worse. You know, imagine being one of these stranded passengers. WestJet or Air Canada shut down their help desk. You're giving no, no assistance. So Worthington tells the story that Air Canada canceled again another flight that he was uh, supposed to be on. No heads up, no hotel accommodations, no food voucher, no nothing. Just too bad, so sad. Off you go. Not good enough, to say the very least. But if you want to bring forward one of those stories, let's go. Sticking with it in the travel world, maybe they know something we don't know out at Stephenville Town Council, but they remain quite optimistic and bullish on the potential for the Diamond Group to close the deal to get the Stephenville Airport back in more working fashion, whether it be the construction of the massive cargo drones and increased passenger traffic. I mean, we've seen the stories about Mr. Diamond's capacity and or financials, and you can talk about that if you see fit. But they really are still completely outside with this and talking quite openly and positively about the potential for this to come to pass. Investment of hundreds of millions of dollars, creations of thousands of jobs, whether it be primary or secondary jobs, you know, every time we bring this up, people will inevitably say, look, there's nothing to see here. This is never going to happen. This is a flight of fancy. Okay, it might be. I don't know what the future holds for the Steamville Airport and or the Diamond Group's involvement. But without any provincial monies at play, I don't see the harm in letting it play out. It might be real. It might not. I have no earthly idea. There's a lot of reason to question whether or not it's going to happen. That much I can grant you. But now it looks like the Stephenville Airport Authority is going to turn back to the town of Stephenville for some, uh, more money for operating costs while they wait. Whether it be some insolvency issue that's bogged down in the courts before the deal can be closed, but they're talking about days or weeks till it actually does get finalized. It would be great if it happened, but if you're in the Stephenville Airport and you have a thought on it, we can talk about it.
I'm sticking with flight for a second. So we know the complete absence of search and, res- search and rescue capacity for air and water search in Labrador. You know, even when we had Minister Joyce Murray on this program, completely uncommittal to doing anything about it. But now the federal government is talking about, and this is something that was announced about five years ago, is for money to be invested to extend the life of the search and rescue chopper fleet. And of course, those are the cormorants. Okay, so the number is huge. It's $1.24 billion to keep those choppers in the air in sometime into the 2040s. Inside that big price tag, you can't tell me that the federal government has not been made aware of the absence of search and rescue capacity in Labrador, and is not willing to do anything about it at this moment in time. It's fine to come to town and talk about the billions of dollars going to be invested in four northerly air bases, and Five Wing Goose Bay is one of them. But no search and rescue, whether it be fast rescue craft and or some air capacity, fixed wing or otherwise, inside that $1.24 billion to extend the life of the fleets and to add three choppers to the fleet, you think maybe, just maybe, they could acknowledge... What needs to be done in Labrador, which is a lot, because currently at this moment in time, very little. And last night with travel, looks like there's some pretty dodgy or dicey weather in the offing for many parts of the province. So, you know, we all hear the stories about people stranded, but even if you're just trying to make it around the province to visit family or friends, whatever you're doing, make sure you give yourself the time required, because the weather could be a little bit tricky out there in different regions, right into Christmas Day, so they say. Okay, actually, I said that was last travel. No, it's not. You know, and over the holiday season, people will have maybe a bit more time to get out and enjoy. If you have a required snow, get out on the snowmobile or your ATV or your UTV. But, of course, drinking and driving or operating those rigs is not a good mix. Wearing a helmet, always a good idea. So the RCMP are now reporting a slight increase in the number of deaths, off-road deaths. So 11 fatalities this year. That's only one more than last year, but still 11 too many. Here's the breakdown. Of the 11 deaths this year, six involved ATVs or UTVs, five involved snowmobiles. Seven of the victims were not wearing helmets, and three of them involved impaired operations. So just hopefully that comes across as a friendly reminder to take it easy out there, especially if you're enjoying a few bevies over the holidays. Please don't get on your rig and go out for a spin. Okay. So we know, look, I'm looking forward to, more than anything else, just the break, to be honest with you. And of course, some Christmas cheer with my family. But the holidays are not easy for everyone. And in fact, they're very difficult for many, many people out there. So I'm not going to be the cornball and say, please be kind. You know how you should behave anyway. But for those who are potentially going to have a mental health emergency... I mean, I don't know how many people have to be the advocates and the champions to talk about, you know, securing long-term access. But now, with no real clear explanation, those who require emergency psychiatric assessment at the Waterford are going to have to go to the emergency room at St. Clair's. So that's going to be, that diversion is going to be in place from December 28th at 9 a.m. until January 17th at 9 a.m. So you have to make your way to St. Clair's for an initial assessment. If there's need for further psychiatric consultation, you may indeed be transported to the Waterford. But if you find yourself needing this kind of attention, it's St. Clair's from the 28th to the 17th of January. And yes, I know the holidays can indeed bring on a ton of anxiety and worry and grief and despair. And if you find yourself in those situations, there are, there are places you can turn. 
And when you're talking about the Waterford now, please remember that it's St. Clair's because sometimes every minute will count. And there are places to turn for some help. And if you want to quietly send me something today where I can maybe put you into the punch in the right direction or put you in contact with the right person, we're happy to try to do that. But that announcement has been made. And I'm not even sure I wanted to talk to this one, but, you know, these stories are just too bizarre and too dangerous to leave out. So we all heard about the fake nurse, you know, working at a retirement home out in Gander. She wasn't vetted properly. Now the story has grown, and it is absolute madness. So this woman apparently had spent some time in police, uh, uh, pardon me, in prison. She was charged with manslaughter in 2019, uh, her role in the death of her four-year-old son, Kane Driscoll. Pleaded down to criminal negligence, causing death, sentenced to two and a half years in prison. Apparently, she says she was in the throes of addiction. And the young boy died of hydromorphone, hydromorphone poisoning. And maybe because of her carelessness, the son got it, ingested it, and died. And she since, after her release, is faking her credentials. So whatever has to happen. You know, it's one thing to use an independent third-party contractor to do this vetting. But this stuff is just too important for any gaps or oversights to take place. Just imagine the fake nurse played some role in the death of her child. Not because I say so, but because the courts say so. Anyway, let's keep going. Bit of a better one. Keeps, in the, keeps on track. I've long been talking about the opportunities that present themselves here uh, economically in the province. And there are many. As much as people are very concerned and or see it to be quite a bleak future for the province, I'm a bit more optimistic. The fact of the matter is, whether or not you have any appetite for an electric vehicle or a laptop or a cell phone, some of the critical minerals required for them can be found in droves in this province. Canada as a country has a massive opportunity to be ahead of the, ahead of the curve here, to have a supply chain secured domestically. No longer should we be in a position to just extract send away, and then buy back the finished product. We've got a massive opportunity, including here. So between the federal and provincial government, they put forward some $10 million that are going to be earmarked for exploration of critical minerals in the province. Now, the question can be asked, is if it's such a good thing and such a big economic opportunity, why would governments have to put any money into it to kickstart it, whether it be for a junior mining operation and or some of the big players? But... We do have a big chance here, and yes, there's environmental concerns with mining. Nothing is perfectly green in this world. There's no such thing. Well, you know what I mean. So getting out on top of this, and, you know, we really, really need to take it a step further. Exploration and production is one thing, but do we actually have a chance to see secondary processing, manufacturing, and then distribution? as opposed to what Canada does way too much of, is we have all the natural resources, we take them out of the ground, and then we send them away, and then we buy them back as consumers and or governments. But this move makes a lot of sense to me. So it's uh, ACOA provides uh, $5.2 million over the next three years. Provinces chipping in almost $5 million through an existing program, which is called the Junior Exploration Assistance Program. You want to take it on? We can do it. How are we doing out there, David? All right. So today... Like yesterday, we kicked off the show with a phone call from a lady named Yvonne Dillon, reflecting back on 100 years of operation of Avalon Taxi. It was really a fun chat. She was lovely. So today, on top of the issues of the day, you know, if you want to reminisce and talk about traditions past or present, 
Send out Christmas greetings. Whatever you want to do, if you want to keep it light, if you want to keep it heavy, if you want to go down somewhere in the middle of the road, I'm completely into it, and so let's do exactly that. All right, the Salvation Army, now they've moved away their formal setup in port basque Some of the stories coming from port basque where people still find themselves in limbo and wonder what the future will hold, and of course the holidays. Think about the some 101 homes that are no longer habitable that, you know, I'm sure that's hitting them sideways as well, so you want to bring us some of your thoughts from Porto Basque we will take it alright we're on Twitter we're VOCM Open Line follow us there email address is openlineupvocm.com and let's go ahead and have a great show to wrap up 2022 we used to be playing music uh, fairly frequently on the show I'm going to pepper in a couple of Christmas carols here just to keep it keep it light and cheery and festive going to keep it all Canadian content let's go with a bit of the Carlton Show and kick it off this is one of my favorite Christmas carols it might be one of yours as well it's a little Christmas in Killarney don't go away and welcome back to the show let's begin this morning on line number two Leonard you're on the air good morning Patty morning to you happy Tebs Eve to you boy <laughs> the very same to you hope you enjoy your time with family and friends you deserve well uh, break now uh, for next few days yeah I'm looking forward to the break and hopefully uh, everyone gets an opportunity to decompress if they have some time off, time off work uh, over the holidays yeah, for sure. First, I'd like to talk about the, the best uh, team in Canada, Toronto Maple Leafs. Of course, you know that. Uh, you watch the hockey all the time. Yeah. Uh, I think it's our year, boy, next year for the, to bring the Cup home back to Canada where it rightly be, belongs to. Do you uh, feel the same way? Well, I'd love to see a Canadian team or Canadian-based team win the Stanley Cup. I guess it's since 93, right? Is it as long yeah. as that? 93 yeah, with Montreal, which, of course, is the last team to win it without a Russian on the team as well, which is an interesting tidbit. Yeah, I was. I, I think that's a bit of a conspiracy that year because of uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Gretzky, I, I stick Gilmore, no penalty called and that stuff like that. But that's, that, that's a chat for another day. Well, no, we can, you know, just for uh, a second on that one, there certainly was a blown call there, and that was Kerry Fraser. Of course, one of the most infamous referees in the league at the time who botched that one. And so you're right, Montreal got to take on the Kings one. Even Montreal fans were really hoping it would be Toronto-Montreal in the final. Yeah, me too, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I think Gary, Gary Bittman had something to do with that. I hope the <laughs> boy, because like I said, I think he was all about expansion and stuff like that. And that's why the cop hasn't come back to Canada seems like all the new franchise are American teams, no Canadian teams, and we could definitely have a, another couple of teams in Canada if we wanted to. We do have the fan base for it. Do we? Where would a, a real home for an NHL team be, other than Quebec City, which I think could probably handle one? Other than that, I'm not sure. How about Hamilton, Ontario? Yeah, I think there's some proximity concerns where the Leafs have a big voice and a big seat at that table. I'm not so sure they'd want to share their fan base, which is ridiculous because it's really hard to get a, a ticket to see the Leafs anyway. Yeah, but exactly. Hamilton could probably handle it, I, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see another team back in Quebec, but I don't think that's going to happen, is it? No, I doubt it. Okay. A great sports town, though, I can tell you that, man. Uh, one of my sons lived and played in Quebec for a few years, and it's a terrific sports town. And as a Montreal fan, our greatest rival was not the Leafs or the Bruins. It was the Nordique. And so yeah, that would be great that, to see yeah. that rekindled. Dale Hunter and uh, those guys. Yeah, Peter Stash. That was great hockey back then. Lots of fights and that. That was, that was good hockey. I got to say, I enjoyed that growing up watching that. Yeah, my favorite Nordique at the time was uh, Goulet. Oh, Goulet, yeah, excellent uh, forward. Uh, yeah. uh, well, let's see, Boston, I always liked Terry O'Reilly and, uh, when they used to play Montreal. That's, uh, my dad was a Montreal fan. Mm -hmm. He had four sons and we're all Toronto, so go figure. All right? 
Yeah, I think the rivalry goes Nordique, Bruins, Leafs. And that's just my opinion as a Montreal fan. But, of course, some of those teams, the O'Reilly vintage, you know, no one can forget Mike Milbury up in the stands beating Buddy with the shoe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, funny. I had a, uh, I was given Christmas time one year. I think it was back in the 90s. It was a double VHS uh, cassette of the uh, forever rivals of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens dating back to the early 1900s. Cool. And still to this day, according to this uh, video that I had, there are still fellows that do old garages against each other to this day. Not. Absolutely. It's yep. all part of it. Yeah. So I'm going to change, uh, not change the subject, but I'm going to talk about the World Juniors. What kind of team we got, what kind of roster we got this year? Like, uh, I know there's a Newfoundlander playing this year on their team, but I don't know much about them. Do you know much about the uh, this team this year to put on noise? Yeah, I kind of know a little bit about it. Of course, the headliner would be Connor Bedard because he is probably, well, he's absolutely going to be the next first uh, first overall selection, and he is a superstar. If anyone, if you haven't seen him with the puck on his stick, it's a sight to behold. He plays okay. like a real seasoned 25-year-old veteran, and he, of course, he was one of those guys who got a chance to play World Juniors, uh, pardon me, uh, Major Junior at the age of 16, but he is the guy that everyone will be keeping an eye on. But yeah, we've got uh, we got a couple of big top names out there. There's another defenseman named Korczynski, uh, yeah. seventh overall. Then there's uh, Bolduc is another big name, Gauthier, Schaefer, Lambos, Zach Dean, of course, from uh, Mount Pearl. So we got some guys. We're going to be yeah. in it. Yeah. Uh, the games are on the first game will be Boxing Day. What time will they be on? In the nighttime, like 8.30, like the regular games comes on, in NHL games, or will they be early games, I wonder? Slightly earlier because it'll be Atlantic time versus Eastern time. So I don't know if I saw an exact start time, but I'm guessing it's yeah. around 7 o'clock. Okay. Yeah, we play the checks on Boxing Day. Oh, very good. Now, we've uh, not won the last couple of years, have we? We lost to the Finns, haven't we, if memory serves me right? Well, we lost uh, a couple of years ago when we had two Newfoundlanders on the team as well. Uh, of course, yeah. Newhook and Mercer. But didn't we yeah. win last year? Oh, I don't know. Goals by so quick. By yeah, there. no, we won the goal last year. Yeah, and there's 10 guys that were on that team around this year's team. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, well, we won last year. Yeah, I look forward to it, boy. I look forward to that every year, boy. It's a great hockey. The best hockey you can watch is the uh, juniors, boy. And like I said, uh, looking forward to it. So, uh, Me too. Yeah. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. Enjoy the holidays, and uh, we'll talk to you in the new year. Thanks a lot, Leonard. Take care of yourself. You too, my friend. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, we're in with a shot. We always are. Uh, let's go line one. Marie, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Good morning to you. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the issues and the problems that exist in our health care. Okay. Uh, The first thing I want to bring up, like there's two I want to bring up. Uh, The first thing is the nurses. Uh, uh, What they're doing in the system right now, uh, bringing in these uh, uh, people and paying them uh, twice or three times the wage that our regular nurses are getting. Uh, I think that's atrocious. I think it's wrong. Uh, our, our nurses in our, in our system are in our hospitals. Uh, they're, they're, they're working. Uh, uh, they go in for a shift. Uh, they don't know if they're going to get out of the hospital until someone else comes in to relieve them. Uh, they're putting them in a position where they're working and they're burning out. And uh, they're not, uh, and, and it's not safe because these nurses, uh, they're they're under a lot of pressure in their jobs, dealing with all this sickness that's going on, and yet uh, they're, they're, our government is 
putting them and jeopardising other people by the decisions of uh, keeping them in there until they get another staff in to relieve them. I think it's totally ridiculous. I think it's totally wrong. And it should not be going on in our system. I think you're referring to what they call traveling nurses, and that's private travel nurses. The regional health authorities across the province have spent almost $9 million this year on uh, these traveling nurses. I'm not sure what the options are. You know, if there's 600 vacancies and there's been big cash dangled in front of those on the casual list who have them uh, full-time permanent, they don't want it because then, of course, they have zero control of their lives and their schedules. So I'm not sure where the answer lies, to be honest. You know, expanded seats at the nursing school, you know, I, I don't know. But, uh, Patty, uh, uh, it's not right. Uh, uh, we have these nurses. Uh, they're, put in, um, <clears throat> they're put in this position where they're paying them so much money. They're taking the brunt of, of all the health care that's coming into those hospitals. And here they are offering other nurses uh, uh, double or triple the money uh, for, to, to, to do the job. And yet the nurses that are in there are only getting their regular pay. And, and, and making them work hours that are atrocious. I mean, they, these nurses cannot function and do their job well uh, when they can't even get relieved. And, and, and the same with our ambulance drivers. I mean, I, I mean, the nurses, you got uh, 600 nurses after leaving the profession because uh, they're burnt out. Uh, so we got something seriously, seriously wrong with that system uh, for that to be going on. And, and, and same with our, our ambulance drivers. Here we got, they're, they're talking. The ambulance drivers are going flat out uh, with patients, bringing them to, because uh, the way our system is set up now, in order for to get into the hospital uh, to, to, to get some help, you got to go through the ambulance service to get that help. And now the ambulance drivers are overworked also. And they, they're talking, now the government's talking about uh, 34 ambulances being taken off the service. So what is the government doing to help the situation? Well, some of this is not even government. Some of this is the private ambulance service because that's the big conversation between the Teamsters and Fewer's ambulance operations. So there's about 100 paramedics and ambulance operators there that are poised to go on strike, some work-to-rule sort of action that they can take any time now. So there are seven different groups. The communities impacted could be uh, Gambo, Clarenville, Come By Chance, Trapassi, Fairland, and those units have voted overwhelmingly in favor of job action. So some of that is not necessarily government. Some of that is the disparity and the confusion between the private offering and the public offering. And it's a long overdue that the government try to figure this out, whether it's going to be a one-size-fits-all for every paramedic, every ambulance operator in the province, because just imagine if there's some withdrawal of service by those 100-plus ambulance operators and paramedics. It could be a real problem. But, you know, the, it's wrong, uh, Patty. I mean, uh, uh, if we don't have, if, if Fury uh, uh, is, is doing this, the service, uh, why don't the government step in and say, now, look, this is what we require in our system to accommodate our, 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 our clientele. And uh, if, you, if you can't provide it, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we're not going to take no ifs, ands, or buts. We need this service. And uh, we want you to provide that service. And, uh, you know, uh, it's ridiculous what's going on. I mean, it's not like the work is not there. It's not like they don't have the drivers to drive these ambulances. They're all there. And if they're there, use them. We, we need them. But that's not necessarily true either, Marie, is we've lost a number of paramedics. And there's some regions in the province where they can't get anyone to work there, period. They're having a wicked time up in Labrador just to get paramedics to stay. 
but uh, you know, uh, but uh, you know, uh, I don't see this thing of cutting cutting back the ambulance drivers. Uh, you know, uh, when there's paramedics there to do the job, okay. if there's paramedics there and and uh, uh, they're there to drive those ambulances, use them. It's like with the nurses. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if uh, you're paying other nurses double and triple the, the salary, what do you think that's going to do with the, the, the nurses that are already in there and only getting uh, what they're getting? What do you think that's going to create? Chaos. Chaos and confusion. Uh, right across the board, it should be a fair wage, a fair wage to them all. Why should you uh, have these people coming in these traveling ones and giving them more money? They're doing the same work. Okay. You know, it's it's ridiculous uh, the way the government is, is and, and, and then the government talking about building more hospitals. Sure, they can't run what, what's, what's out there. First fix the problems in the hospitals before you think about building a hospital. If you can't, if you can't get the staff in there to, to, to accommodate the public, but, why are you building another hospital? But they're not building another one. They're replacing one. So it's not like we're going to have a brand new hospital and St. Clair's at the same time and then try to have to staff it. It's to build a hospital to replace a facility that's about 100 years old. And sometime in the future, it's going to have to be done, you know, realistically. And it might even play a role in retaining healthcare professionals because modern is good. Training opportunities would be enhanced. And there's there's some merit to replacing it. Now, it's the timing of the announcement that kind of caught everybody off guard. But, anywho, I'll let you wrap it up. I think you have uh, – do you have anything else on your mind this morning, Marie? Well, I, I think it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, uh, first, the way I look at uh, hospital situations, don't be talking about building something when, when what's out there is already broken and it's not running. First, fix those problems first. And then, and then to talk about building a hospital when, 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 when you got the staff to go to put in them. What's the point of, of putting a hospital there and there's no staff and, and, everything, and everything is in an upheaval? I mean, it's crazy. It's not sensible. I appreciate the time, Marie. Thanks for the call this morning. And, Patty, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. And uh, the gentleman that called in about the taxi stand, uh, I I really appreciated uh, his uh, uh, call on what he said about it. And uh, uh, I admired uh, the the type of service that that taxi stand uh, went and gave to the public. It's to be commended. Thank you, Marie. I enjoyed that call, too. Okay. God bless. You, too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. I mean, the issue with replacing St. Clair's, you wouldn't have to start from scratch with staff because everyone that's working at St. Clair's would inevitably work at the new St. Clair's, you know what I mean, whatever they call it eventually. So I don't think that's a big complicating factor when we're talking about staffing shortages. Now, does it need to be done today? Are we in the right position to do so? Is Marie right in saying that, you know, attend to the issues of the day might be more important than building new bricks and mortar facilities? I mean, St. Clair's has to be replaced. At some point, it just does. And it might be beneficial not only for the patient, but for staff and for people wanting to work in a new modern facility. If you're a healthcare worker in this country, whether it be a registered nurse, LPN, nurse practitioner, doctor, whatever the case may be, when you look at where you'd like to uh, practice, it wouldn't necessarily only be the town, the city, access, amenities, opportunities for your partner, your children, those types of things. Of course, they're also going to look at where they're going to work. The age of the facility, the training opportunities, I mean, that is absolutely something in consideration. If I'm a healthcare professional, it's one thing to say, oh, St. John sounds great. Oh, Cornerbrook sounds exactly like where I want to be. But if what comes with it is 100-year-old facility, that makes it less attractive, I would think. Now, 
There's a lot still to be understood about the where, the whens, the how much is for the replacement of St. Clair's. But anyway, the traveling nurses, look, I get it. There's, you know, almost $9 million spent this year on the traveling nurses. What I don't really have a firm understanding of is exactly how much they get paid compared to their counterparts on the floor. I mean, I hear it floated that they get paid much more, but exactly how much is that? Maybe a vet coffee can help fill us in because I'd like to know that number because you compare that to the frustration that the doctors feel when the 811 bill is 82 bucks going to phone med and their in-person visit where the patient is 37 a virtual is like 47 bucks with a cap of 40 per day so those disparities don't make it easy to recruit or retain let's take a break when we come back we're going to labrador and then we're talking to you don't go away weekdays on vocm it's open line with your host patty daly join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m to noon on your vocm we get people talking Welcome back to the program. Let us now go. Dave's giving me the cue. Uh, line number three, say good morning to the PC member for Tops of Paradise. That's Paul Din. Paul, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing? Hanging in there. How about you? I'm doing well. I was listening to your, uh, to your early this morning and looking for some positive uh, stories or uh, greetings and that, so I said I'd take you up on that offer. Um, however, I got to say, in keeping it positive, it's hard to keep it positive when your first caller claims the Leafs are the uh, best team in NHL. Well, like all Leaf fans, they live in (laughs) fantasy land. That sort of took me back. But anyway, uh, (laughs) everyone has their their faults. I guess that's one. But anyway, they they keep dreaming. They keep dreaming, which is all good. Like you should. I mean, a bunch of my buddies are Leafs fans, and they they got the same optimistic attitude most every single season, and I love it. I mean, I love the little bit of rivalry. I don't get so caught up in it that I hate the Leafs or I hate their fans or none of that nonsense. Mm -hmm. I love to hear the, the fans of the teams that are just so... Hopeful and positive that this is the year. This is the year. Yeah, you know. <laughs> we'll see. And you know what? That's that's the type of optimism I guess uh, uh, we need as a province. Actually, you know, as we move forward into the new year and and, and the uh, the challenges we've we've dealt with, especially since COVID. I guess this is probably the uh, the the year that we're clo- closest to normal since COVID uh, hit us. Uh, so, uh, you know, I want to take the opportunity just to reach out to. Uh, to uh, your listeners and uh, and um, you know members, uh, residents, Topsail Paradise and Newfoundlanders, Labradorians all all around, and just really wish them a very merry Christmas and the best in the new year. Uh, I know we have many challenges ahead. You know, healthcare certainly is is a huge one, and you know there's going to be some struggles uh, this winter with the cost of living. So I, I, you know, I know I will, and and uh, my colleagues will continue to uh, to advocate and lobby and try to do, get better for our residents, and 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 as well work with government, you know, uh, to uh, to find solutions. And you know, I listened today when you're talking about the uh, the uh, mental health uh, diversions there. You know, uh, it's not easy, and I think. Uh, I just want to, you know, invite people to reach out at any time uh, if I can help them. And, uh, you know, if there's people out there who know people who are struggling, reach out to them as well. Uh, because Christmas hits now. We've we've done all the uh, the fundraising. We've done all the uh, food banks, uh, drives, and, and the like. But it doesn't stop. That continues. So uh, I really hope that people will keep that uh, uh Front front of mind uh, and top of mind for them going through the Christmas season because there's uh, there's people who are really in in need and uh, sometimes we uh, 
sometimes we forget forget that, and sometimes we take for granted what we have. So uh, I'm, I'm wishing everyone a, a very Merry Christmas and the best in the New Year. And, and by all means, you know, reach out and uh, and don't let something drag on. Reach out to those in need. Absolutely. You know, we got to be mindful of that. It might be one thing for me or you or others to be festive and cheery and content and just looking for a break. But there's many out there that this season is it's the furthest thing from that. So yeah. keep that top of mind. I appreciate the time this morning, Paul. Merry no, Christmas to you and yours. Thank you, Patty, and, and keep up the good work. Uh, your program does, does a lot for, for giving people the opportunity to reach out as well. Uh, you do you do quite the job on the information and getting that out there. So, yeah, to you and yours, have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Appreciate that a lot. Thanks, Paul. All the best. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. All right, let's keep rolling here. Line number two. Lori, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you. The very same to you, Lori. Um, I want I want to talk a little bit about health care, uh, particularly health care in Labrador. Um, of course, leave it to the government to make an announcement four o'clock on a Friday afternoon that sets everybody's head spinning and and, you know, puts everybody in a very drastic situation. Personally, um, I have a personal connection to what happened uh, this past Friday with that uh, announcement. I have um, a, a senior couple, couple, I'll call them Nan and Pop. They're not my Nan and Pop, but we actually share a grandchild, so we always call them Nan and Pop. Um, both of them were patients in the hospital in Goose Bay uh, for one for almost three months and one for close to a month. Um, I left the hospital you know, uh, uh, Friday afternoon around 3.30 um, after my regular, you know, I'm, I'm there probably a dozen times a day uh, helping them. Um, I left the hospital at 3.30, got stopped by a staff member at the front desk asking if we had any success in um, acquiring home care. Um, of course, we didn't. Uh, we've been looking for, you know, close to three months. Um, zero success. And she, you know, she asked me, she said, what do you think is the problem with getting health care? And I said, well, the fact that they're paying, that the government's paying $15.44 is the biggest factor, uh, of course, because that's, to me, that's a poverty wage for somebody doing that type of work, looking after our most, most vulnerable and our, our sick patients. She said, what do you think it would take to, um, to secure health care? So you're not going to secure home care when you're paying $15.44 an hour. I said, I've said that for the last three months. She said, well, what, if there was more pay. And I said, she said, you know, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, a higher rate of pay is more enticing, but it's very hard to find in Labrador. I guess it's probably hard all over the province. Anyway, um, after a few minutes of conversation, she said to me, she said, if you can find somebody to do the home care for them, and it's going to take 25 or $30 an hour, we will get the money. And I'm, so, you know, I left there and I got out to the parking lot and I thought, holy shit. Sorry. Um, if you can pay twenty-five or thirty dollars an hour, why are you offering fifteen dollars and forty-four cents an hour? So my head was kind of reeling over that, and I and I went on, and then, you know, uh, less than an hour later, I get a phone call saying that they're moving Nan and Pop. They're sending them on a on a plane to St. Anthony, and I'm like, what the heck? I just left there, and I was like, I was floored by what was going on and you know the the crisis in health care is not a new thing to labrador it's been like it for a number of years and we've been crying about it and screaming about it and and nothing is changing 
and and your caller just now, Marie, talked about, you know, the the disparity between nurses, you know, the locums that are coming into Labrador and the ones that are actually living in in Lake Melville and working in the system. And she's absolutely right. Um, The locums are getting paid at least twice the money um, to do the exact same work. So there's, you know, there's got to be some animosity there. And part of the reason why we're losing a lot of these nurses, totally understandable when you're working side by side to somebody with somebody and you know that you're getting half of the pay. So the problem lies with um, how the department is being run, no doubt. The shortage is because of uh, a lot of disrespect by management towards these nurses. Uh, I haven't, uh, there's... A young girl that that is actually a secretary for my nephew's company, and I was having a conversation with her one day last week, and she had asked something about Nan and Pop, and you know I'd said how they were doing or whatever, and she said I kind of looked at her kind of puzzled because of what she asked, and she says, "You know I'm a nurse, right?" And I said, "No, I didn't know you were a nurse." I said, "What are you doing here as a secretary?" She said, "Exactly. I spent four years nursing in Goose Bay and couldn't handle it any longer." In four years, she had 10 days off. That is absolutely disgusting and disrespectful. And management is overworking these, these local nurses, uh, and that's the way the system works. Um, on another note, I also have an extended family member who is a doctor. Um, spent a year, uh, got, you know, became a doctor, passed her exam, spent a year overseas practicing as a doctor in another country. You know, came back home, you know, born and raised on the, on the West Coast, came back home because this was what she wanted to do, you know, practice as a doctor in her home, in her home province. Um, couldn't get a contract with the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Couldn't get a callback. Couldn't get anybody to return a message. A licensed doctor, born and raised in Newfoundland and couldn't get a contract. So now she's actually a doctor in um, B.C. I'll never understand that. Even when you add to it the fact that there was apparently a contentious meeting between the graduating doctors at Mon Med School and then Minister... Haggy. Haggy. How did I not yep. remember that name? So, you know, everyone that struts across that stage at the National Cultural Center as a healthcare professional, we should have already had extensive conversations with them. Then, of Absolutely. course, they've, had, they've dangled that number out there for expats who either trained here or, or are from here to come home. But it's one thing they just put it out in the form of a news release. We've got to have these personal relationships. And especially when we have you as a captive audience here, the conversation about opportunities to work in this province should start the first day you're wrong hits the desk chair in one of these uh, schools, whether it be registered nurse, respiratory therapist, doctor, whatever, that conversation has to be as, as important as the delivery of curriculum on day one. And there's a, there's, a huge, there's a huge problem when we have people coming from other provinces and setting up at job fairs and, and taking, you know, recruiting our nurses and recruiting our doctors. Of course they're going to go because they're going to get a better life balance they're going to they're going sure. to be treated with more respect. I mean, that's exactly what's happening in this province, and it's not something new. This crisis that happened on on Friday, um, with the announcement coming down, like I said, leave it to the government to make an announcement four o'clock on a Friday afternoon when nobody can ask any questions. The bright side of of my family's story here is that um, after a few days, uh, the, my nan and pop were sent to a um, 
a facility in Roddickton. You know, they didn't, they, they know not one soul in Roddickton, but the care that they're getting at this facility, apparently they think, they say it's a beautiful facility. I'm actually in St. John's for Christmas and on our way back to Labrador on our drive, we're going to go and go into Roddickton and have a visit with them. Of course, um, you know, it's, of course it's out of the way from all of their family. All of their family is in Lake Melville, but, the only other, you know, it's it's great that they're they're getting the fear, the 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 care that that they are receiving there. And I talk to them, you know, several times a day, and and they said it's a beautiful facility. The staff is nice, which is great. Mm-hmm. You know, having having to take them out of Labrador is a problem in the first place. The only other thing I want to say, Patty, is you know the 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 government made the made the decision to send everybody a five hundred dollar check, and I know yes, Christmas. You know, everybody appreciates it. Right. Uh, what's the bottom figure of that five hundred dollars? How much of that five hundred dollars could have been redirected in the health care to keep our nurses and to keep our our, our the, the the system uh, in in a better shape? It's always a good question about how and where and the timeliness of, of how government spends our money. I appreciate the time, Laurie. I'm off to the break. I wish you and your family a great right. holiday. You have a merry Christmas. Thank you. You, you too. You're welcome. Bye bye. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Danny's in the queue. He wants to respond to our first caller, who was Marie. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number five, Danny, you're on the air. Line number five, Danny, you're on the air. Is the pot up there, Gregory? Danny going once. Danny going twice. Danny. Danny. Oh, my God. All right. What do you want me to do here, lads? Which one am I going to take? Uh, I can't see that. It looks like a four. Let's go to line number four. Ron, you're on the air. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Patty. Uh, I got a f- going to go back to the hockey theme. Sure. Uh, I got a few questions. Uh, uh, the young fellow Dean, I think his first name is Zach. That's right. Uh, I saw him on TV there a couple of days ago. And he was saying he was living in Mount Pearl, but he said he was from Batwood. Yeah, I think he's originally from there, played all his minor hockey and whatnot uh, in Mount Pearl, is my understanding. Then, of course, got drafted by the Gatineau Olympique in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. But, yeah, I believe he's born in Batwood. Yeah. Uh, and no. someone else told me he was actually born in Lab City, but I've never been able to confirm that. But he played all his minor in Mount Pearl. That's why he says Mount Pearl is his hometown. Right. Now, I'm wondering if he's any relation to... Uh, bullet Bob Dean, who who terrorized offensively the hockey in the 1960s. I don't know. Did you ever hear uh, Bullet Bob I Dean? know who you're talking about. Of course, I'm too young to have seen him terrorize the world. But <laughs> I know the name, and I have no idea if that, there's a relation there or not. But I think I have some contact information kicking around for Zach Dean's family, so maybe I'll zip him off a note. question is uh, is Max Pacioretty or TJ Wilson retired? Neither as far as I know. I guess I haven't heard their names mentioned so far to hear. Pacioretty's getting a little bit long in the tooth but I didn't think he had retired. He had a pretty good finish last season. Yeah, that's what he did. He was a great hockey player once he got clear of Montreal. (laughs) He was good in Montreal. What? He was pretty good in Montreal. Yeah, but he was crucified there too. Yeah, well, Montreal's a, 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 sometimes a cold place to have to play. You're under the spotlight, that's for sure. Yeah, no, Patrick, still playing. He's in Carolina. Yes, but in Carolina now. Yeah, they got a good team. Because I think he's with 
Vegas. Right? He was, yeah. That he was. So you don't know about Wilson, do you? I don't, but I didn't. Uh, I don't know that he retired, so I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, but I mean, he only, uh, you know, you got to watch your back when he's on the ice. Yeah, you're calling. You're, you're calling TJ is Tom Wilson, right? What? Tom Wilson. Tom is it? Yeah, the the Washington Capital guy. Yeah. Oh, he's madman out there. Now everyone would love to have a guy like him on his on their team, but he's dirty player. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I, I gotta agree with you. Yeah, he's he's dangerous. Yeah, Dean has had a fine year so far in Gatineau. And, of course, if you make the 23-man roster to play for Team Canada, you know you're heading in the right direction. And you mentioned Vegas. Patch already played there for three or four seasons. That's who drafted Zach Dean as well in the first round. Was it? Yep. Very good. And he's actually signed. Yeah. Well, listen, Patty, I'd like to wish you and Dave now and your families a very Merry Christmas. The very same to you, Ron. Thanks for the call today. Have a great holiday season. All the best. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, very quickly before we get to the news, on behalf of a listener, and they're stressed out. Their beagle, Finn, 17 months old, microchipped, skittish, but very friendly, got off his harness at Bowering Park, uh, Dog Park yesterday, not wearing tags, got struck by a car, but apparently after he got hit by the car, he was seen running down the waterford trail towards Bowering Park. So if you see young Finn, who was possibly injured, a 17-month-old beagle, Please call Kristen, and her number is 770-5240. I have the number on hand. If you are the one who saw Finn running around and maybe is hurt, let us know. We'll get Kristen and Finn reunited for Christmas. Let's take a break. When we come back, Todd's there. Appreciate the patience. Clyde's got a bouquet to flick around, and then we're going to Fogo Island. Talk away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Let's go. Line number two. Todd, you're on the air. How are you today, Patty? Top shelf today. Thanks. How about you? Oh, I'm just waiting to hear you say top shelf. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm top shelf also, my buddy. Uh, Great. I want to chime in on uh, Bob Dean from Botwood. I'm uh, I'm originally from Botwood myself, and uh, now Bob's a lot older than I am. But, uh, yeah, Bob played hockey, and as uh, far as I know, he played with uh, Detroit for a little stint. Uh, there, if you want to check that out, I'm pretty 100% sure on that one. Now, Zach's dad, uh, his name's Trent. He was a good hockey player, too, when I recall. Now, he was a lot younger than me in school now, but uh, he played, he was a, a fantastic hockey player also. Well, I have found out since uh, that Bullet Bob Dean is Zach's grandfather, which is great yeah. to know. And uh, Bullet Bob himself actually played in the in the OHA for the Hamilton uh, Red Wings, played for the Marlboros in Oshawa. I don't see him listed as having played in the National Hockey League. Da, 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 da. No, I he don't see it. Now, my memory might be serving me incorrectly. Yeah, right and I'm now. not sure either. This was back in 61 yeah. to 63. Yeah, but Zach comes from a long line. He's got good history, uh, family history of hockey. Uh, he's got a lot of relatives. Uh, I know one of his uh, relatives played with the old cataracts back in the 80s and that. At a Grand Falls there, and that, and uh, they're all good hockey players. Well, generally speaking, the young fellas come by it honestly. You know, they've got athletes, in particular hockey players, possibly in the family. So, yeah, I guess Zach is related to a bunch of fine hockey players. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's got the good genes. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and and that family of Deans are a really nice family, actually. Uh, Bob, I know Bob, and uh, Bob's a gentleman. 
uh, Zach's grandfather is. And that, and uh, I know because I chase them on the uh, Facebook, and they sit down every friggin' night and watch uh, watch uh, Zach and cheer him on like you wouldn't believe. Like you would. I mean, uh, of course, I'm right up the street from me. One of my best pals, Sean Newhook, and his son Alex, who's playing in Colorado, who I'm going to give the chance to see uh, personally in March. I can't wait for that. And uh, you know, it's just so exciting to have the locals back in the NHL doing great things. So. You know, between Mercer, who's having a terrific season, he looks great out there. Alex is picking he it up it. a notch, and of course, we got a couple of players coming behind: Ryan Green, Zach Dean, and others. Yeah, Zach is gonna. I think Zach's gonna uh, be one of the big ones when he goes in the NHL. Yeah, let's hope so. I, I, yeah, yeah. Let's keep our fingers crossed. He's a good. Uh, he's a good hockey player. It, Absolutely, first round pick. <laughs> yeah. <Not bad. laughs> anyway, you have a fine show, and Merry Christmas to you and yours and everybody at VOCM. And you know the whole province is listening, so, uh, and I'm sure the whole province is wishing you a Merry Christmas also, sir. I appreciate that a lot, and I wish you nothing but the very best over the holidays to you and your family. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. Have a good one, you sir. You too. All right. Okay, bye bye. All right, let's keep going. Line number one Clyde, you're on the air. How are you this morning, hey? Not too bad, I suppose. How about you? Oh, I'm uh, doing better than that. I, uh, I call uh, from the Arpenet's Flow Rock Harbor, a uh, beautiful province we have here, eh? Absolutely. And hope for better things, because I've uh, done a lot of phone in and talking about the work coming and uh, trying to get uh, things on the go up this way. Hopefully things will improve. Now, I know we had a setback with the St. Lawrence Mine there now, but uh, hopefully it'll come around there. Afterwards, with all the mineral stuff on the go here. Well, the floor spar is in demand. It's got a good price. There's lots of infrastructure upgrades need to be done at that particular facility in St. Lawrence, but I'd be surprised if they can't get that figured out. Yes, but Patty, the way I always says is we got to do it and do it right. Then sometimes we don't do it right, and this is what happens, right? Yes, especially some of the loading, offloading dock, or it looks like it's just an old barge tied down with Nanny's twine. So something's got to give there. Oh. I can tell you the story on that right quick. Is uh, 40 kilometers from St. Lawrence to it's a key with the uh, offshore. They're in Spanish Herm. They're just located, not Marystown. But anyway, they were using 12 trucks 24 hours a day going back and forth there for the load the, the big boat and then sail away. So, I mean, you know how much money that costs, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's a, bit of, there's a few outstanding debts and what have you at the St. Lawrence Floor Spire mining operation, but... If there's a demand for the product, and there is, and the price is solid, I'm, I'm guessing I've got fingers crossed. Maybe sometimes my cockeyed optimism shines through, but I think something's going to happen there. Yeah, well, see, Pay, what we've got to do is have hope for all things, right? I mean, that always works out, but uh, I had a rough five years and never got much work, but right now i got a little bit of work, and things seem to be picking up because uh, I'm in the... In scaffolding, the, the well, construction, right? So uh, what's going to happen there now? We're coming on with our ginchig in the spring. That's going to be, uh, they're already starting to hire for people to go to work there uh, in the new year in January. So things are going to pick up there. they got about 40% left to do, right? So hopefully there's going to be work there and, and a few other things. I think they're getting more into minerals. I think we got the gold mine down there in Central there, uh that's starting to wrap up a little bit, too, there on the go. So everything comes together. Hopefully uh, things will work out for us all, eh? Absolutely. I mean, there's still reason to be optimistic about the economic opportunities in the province. There really is. I know there's a lot of doom and gloom and woe that kind of dominates the conversation and dominates the headlines, but we've got chances out there. Yes, we've got 
chance to study. I'd like to wish you and everyone of you all same uh, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas. I haven't phoned in this year much now. I had a, like I said, a bit of rough spurt there, but everything is starting to come around for me, and hopefully it'll come around for other people in this province, and we can all uh, all go forward with uh, good hope. Absolutely. Thanks for this, Clyde. Have a good holiday. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All Bye. the best. Bye-bye. All right, so Bob Dean, this is my good buddy Danny Power. Bob Dean, bullet Bob Dean, played and won a Memorial Cup, apparently, with the Hamilton Red Wings. Never did play in the NHL, though. Let's go to line number seven. Eugene, you're on the air. Good morning, Teddy. How are you? Not too bad, you. Teddy, I'm doing fairly well. Getting ready for Santa. Teddy? Good. Yeah, yeah me I'm too. Sh- I'm, sure, I'm sure you're doing the same thing, yes. And I uh, wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and David VOCM and everyone out there. Uh, Patty, I, I'm still living on Fogo Island, and I say still because I don't know how much longer I'll be there. I retired at 60. I moved back nine years ago, almost nine years ago. And I've been fighting on his shoes ever since I went back, as you know, because I caused the open line show fairly regularly. So two of the issues that I'm spatting about this morning is the health care and the bank. So we're there with no family doctor. I had a family doctor there, and he moved away. With no family doctor. And uh, doctors are going and coming from all parts of Canada, and probably the world, I don't know, but from Canada, I know, because I've met some of them. So uh, I don't understand. Now, you worked on, or you talked about it on your open line show about Dr. Art, right? Yep. Uh, do you know what happened why you didn't come to Fogo Island? Well, there was a couple of things, if I remember correctly. One was about uh, licensing, because he had not been practicing with inpatient appointments for the last couple of years, and he was doing virtual care, but the college doesn't recognize virtual care as contributing to the numbers of days and hours you work to get your license. That's one. But I, th- I think we were all pretty quick to blame simply the college and or the province whatever, or the regional health authorities, but I think there's more to the story. Apparently, the good doctor was also unwilling to go through some of the checks uh, and oversights that are required to get a medical license. One of those is a background check. So he didn't want to do some of those things for whatever reason. And so when it arrived at that, even though the province offered to pay for his licensing fees and what have you, and there was going to be maybe some negotiation about virtual care being lumped in as to the qualifications, but if he wasn't willing to check all the boxes, then maybe it's as much his, his fault as anybody else's is my understanding. Okay, okay. So in the beginning, we figured it was because of the red tape of trying to get in the province, and he was doing mostly virtual care down there. And, yeah. and uh, it was confusing for the people of Fogo Island because they couldn't understand, and, and I know so I couldn't understand. Uh, so anyway, okay, so i got another case now. So he was from the States, but I know of a case of a, a doctor from Canada that tried to get to Fogo Island. And they had to get the licensing for the province first because they wouldn't need, they, they were in another province. And they got that licensing straightened out, got it done. So then they they wanted, they asked specifically for Fogo Island to be stationed there because they had friends there. So it delayed this doctor. So anyway, that's very good. So they, they, they got back to them after they got the licensing in place. That all got through the system and that worked out fine. So then they got back to them and said, you can, you can go to Bonavista, which is under Eastern Elt, I understand. You can go to Bayford, which is under Western Elt, I understand. But Fogo Island, a doctor is not needed. You hear that, Teddy? A doctor is not needed. Who There's said that? Gone on. That's the response that doctor got back. That doctor got back. The response was 
a doctor is not needed for Fogelau Central Health. So now someone should be able to respond, and, and there's some reason why that must have happened. Something within the system must have, must have stopped that doctor from coming to Fogelau. So, 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 I mean, the bureaucracy, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. The things that you hear and the doctors that would come to full go out and can't get there, but now we got doctors going and coming, like the doctor I had a few days ago was from Toronto, and I understand there's going to be one there a few days now from Calgary. Can you imagine the expense that is to the taxpayers of you and I to keep them doctors coming in periodically? Not full-time, because... There's emergencies lots of time on Fogwam and they're gone to Gander. They gotta go to Gander. They gotta go to Gander in the Amos because there's no doctor on Fogwam. So it, it's it's a mess. And I tell you, I'm living there and you know me, I'm a concerned citizen, I voice my concern, and it's 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 incredible. And I think the system is really screwed up and it could be taken care of a lot better than it is. And we are the ones that's failed and you know, I'm sure there's people dying because of it. The other thing is the bank. Okay, I'm going to move on out because I know your time is precious. The bank. We are bank closed in August. At the time when the bank closed, a few days later, in a way, they said the Eagle River Credit Union was coming. The credit union showed lots of interest. Fogelwald, there was two banks there years ago, and now there's, there was only one, which is Scotia, been there for 108 years and, and left. So you know that there would be a lot of interest for a bank to come there. The bank is there. They turned over to the town for a dollar. The building is there. The accommodation is there. It's looking beautiful. We're still months later and no bank. And that's one of the reasons why I'm in Grandpa's Windsor today. I'm just family, yes, but I had to go to a bank. So we got to leave and go to Gander or Grandpa's or Lewis, but somewhere to go to a bank. A senior, I, I got transportation, but there's lots of seniors that don't, and it's just insane and why don't we have a credit union on Fogelong today? It's a question, I tell you. We should be asking someone that's in, in control of all this. There's there, there got to be a reason, because I'm sure, like I have heard, <laughs> Fogo, there's lots of money on Fogelong. There's lots of money on Fogelong. I mean, you know, probably one of the richest parts of, of, of Newfoundland, I would say, right? So the bank is needed there. But there is no bank there still, and we got to leave Fogelong and go away. So that's two two very big concerns I got, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay there. I'm sure that the people that will be upset me if I leave Fogwell. But I tell you, since I went there nine years ago, Petty, I have fought my rear up for issues like the ferry, for paving, or whatever it may be. And these are the two issues on my slate today. And I tell you, it can be a lot better, but the people that can make the difference is not making the difference, and we, the people of Fogwell, are suffering. Appreciate the time, Eugene. Thanks for this this morning. Yes, Patty, and thank you for taking my concerns, and Merry Christmas to you and yours, and to everyone out there, and Happy New Year. Same to you, Eugene. Thank you very much. God bless my buddy. Okay, all right. Bye-bye. Here we go. You know, the bigger complication, the bigger, another complication with no bank is if you're going to go do some banking, and you're going to go to Gander, we'll just say, you know full well with some different shopping opportunities you're going to probably fill up your rig, make your way back to Fogo Island. Consequently, some of the shops that you would have been the patron of in the past, they're losing some of your business because you'll have some bigger stores and some different options and maybe some different price points possibly. So that's going to hurt the business community. And, of course, not everybody is doing all their banking online. And there is some necessity to see a teller sometimes. So having to travel that distance, ferry ride, then the drive to Gander to do that, 
You're going to lose some business and uh, business money and revenues on Fogo Island as well. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, plenty of time to speak with you. The topic is up to you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number five, Dennis, you're on the air. Hi, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Got a little good news story uh, for you this morning, just midst uh, some of the doom and gloom that's on the go. Sure. So uh, out here in the little play, little community of Pillies Island, population approximately 250, over the last, uh, let's say, six to seven months, uh, there's been a, a little committee form that's uh, gone ahead and uh, worked very diligently on constructing or uh, doing a major renovation, actually, I suppose, to be technically correct, of, an old, of a home for a young gentleman here in the town. Okay, what's so, happening? Uh, yeah, well, it started off uh, just uh, uh, some people saw the need to help this uh, young man, and uh, I, I don't think he would mind me sharing his name. His name is Floyd Whalen, a very humble, very likable and interesting fellow, actually down in the art of Bumley B. White in, on Pelly's Island. And uh, Floyd, uh, you know, he worked all of his life, actually worked 37 years uh, mostly in the fishing industry or the, the secondary uh, processing and uh, spent a lot of time at FBI, OCI in Triton, was probably the top crab butcher down there. And uh, then while he was working, he, he had some significant problems with uh, one of his legs and uh, he's had medical attention and surgery. And the long and the short of it is that he is all needed a lot of work done and he wasn't in a position to do it. So this little committee got uh, formed and started raising funds, uh, very, uh, very, uh, I guess, simplistic way, to put it uh, briefly, um, by doing recyclables. And the committee has raised approximately $2,000 on recyclables. Uh, a local uh, gentleman uh, up on Kippens Ridge donated a lot of potatoes, and uh, they were distributed and sold or uh, that type of thing, another couple of thousand. And since then, uh, there's been a lot of help from uh, in individuals, a fair bit of help, actually, monetarily, and uh, in-kind labor. So uh, the, the construction has progressed extremely favorably. The outside is totally completed. Uh, a lot of it done in weather that wasn't so uh, great by uh, just volunteers from, from Pillies Island and uh, – now the boys are working on the interior. So, yeah, we're we're really pleased, actually. That's fantastic, you know. Uh, and I'm glad you called with this type of news because we do sometimes go down that that path of nothing but doom and gloom when, in fact, I know full well you're telling us a great story. There's lots of good people out there in many communities doing whatever they can to help folks out. And in this case, you know, I'm sure this gentleman is just chuffed with the uh, the effort and the support he's getting. Certainly, he certainly is. He's a, a very, very, very appreciative, and he said that over and over again uh, to a lot of people, particularly the boys who've been down doing the the uh, carpentry work and electrical and plumbing and all of that. And uh, I mean, in just like I said at the beginning, he's a very humble and likable, res- very respectful young fellow. Well, he's in his fifties, so he's not so young, but he's uh, he's you know he, he he's uh, pretty. Uh, Pretty young at art, and 
Yeah, really, really appreciative of all the help he'd received, for, like I said, from the committee, not only from the committee, but from people who've donated money and people who've donated time and uh, uh, businesses who've donated products. So, uh, yeah, and for a little small community, I mean, we're only 250 people in Pilly's Island, give or take a few. Uh, and uh, But the surrounding area of Green Bay South and, and further beyond, I mean, even across the country, you know, as well, uh, have been very, very helpful and uh, and and helped to do this for Floyd. So, yeah, we're we're really pleased out here, and uh, hopefully within I'd say probably a month or so, the interior should be all ready, and and hopefully you'll be able to move in. Well, it's a great story, and uh, I'm sure he's thrilled to death. And good on everyone who's made some sort of contribution monetarily or a bit of elbow grease. Uh, good to have you on the show, Dennis. So, wish everyone on Pelly's Island uh, a happy Christmas for me. Thank you. We'll certainly do that, Petty, and and the same to you and all your listeners. Uh, happy Tibbs Eve, actually, and then Christmas Eve and Merry Christmas. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep it posted on as things go along now in the new year, and uh, and probably get back to you again. I look forward to it. Thank you. Okay, you're kindly welcome. Have a nice day. You too, Dennis. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, let's get a quick update on some immigration red tape with the Liberal member for Cornerbrook. He's the Minister of Immigration, Population, Growth, and Skills, Jerry Byrne. Minister Byrne, you're on the air. Happy Tibbs, Patty. Thanks so much for having me on this morning. No pleasure. What's going on with Miss Costanza? Well, listen, we've got uh, we had a heart wrenching story uh, eke out on on open line, which now is turning into a heartwarming story. Costanza, who um, a new Newfoundlander and Labradorian from Chile, who uh, are here with her family, went to Chile not too too long ago to spend some time with her parents, her family. Uh, she applied for permanent residency here in Newfoundland and Labrador. She owns Newborn Lander. She's also executive director of Task Force NL, amazing contributor to our province. She did not have all of her uh, uh, permanent residency documentation and paperwork completed by Ottawa after we had nominated her, and she got stuck in Chile, unable to return home to her husband and to her children, who, um, who've been waiting for her. And uh, delightful news to report this morning, Costanza will be coming back to join Tomas and, her, and, uh, and the family on Christmas Day. So it's a wonderful, heartwarming story that I wanted to share, given the amount of outreach and concern for her and to her family and for all those others like her. So Merry Christmas to Costanza and to the family. Some of these things, you know, I know there's a lot of tumultuous times at the federal department, but there's very seldom ever an excuse for the way things drag out. And when we're talking about very fundamental solves that can easily be attained, you wonder why sometimes the red tape gets people's, uh, gets people's goats when dealing with any level of government. But I'm glad that it's going to work out the way it is, and it's fitting that there's a reuniting coming up on Christmas Day. Absolutely. And we're going to work on those on those frustrating red tape we need an Immigration and Refugee Citizenship Canada, an IRCC, a federal IRCC office in Newfoundland and Labrador, someone to pick up the phone and help people. We do that for people. And so we're, uh, we do the provincial element of this or side of this. We really need some help on the federal side because that's really where the problem, a lot of the problems lie. But today is a celebration of Costanza. We're going to work to make sure that the the thousands of other Costanzas that are waiting to come into our province are appropriately and uh, helpfully, you know, 
just helped along the way. So a Merry Christmas to her. And so, Patty, with that said, I'd like to you know just close off by saying to everyone in Newfoundland and Labrador, a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, a Happy Hanukkah, and uh, let's let 2023 be a beautiful year ahead. Merry Christmas to the wonderful people of the city of Cornerbrook. And I so appreciate the time we've had this morning. Appreciate your time, Minister Byrne, and uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family and, of course, all of your friends. Hopefully you have a, a peaceful holiday season because we're back at it in 23. You know it. All the best to you, my friend. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. It's Jerry Byrne, the Minister of Immigration, Population, Growth, and Skills, the Liberal member for Cornerbrook. All right. Zach Dean? <laughs> Born in Grand Prairie, Alberta, apparently. Made his way to this province as a little tyke, much like my two boys who were born in Alberta, came here when uh, Nicholas was only three. Jack was still in diapers. Uh, so Zach is from, uh, born in Alberta in Grand Prairie. Family's from Bowood, played his minor hockey in Mount Pearl. Now toiling in, or not toiling, he's putting his uh, uh, skills on display for Gatineau, the Olympique in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, playing for Canada at the upcoming World Juniors and drafted in the first round by the Vegas Knights. Let's take a break. When we come back, appreciate your patience. We're talking prices for the holiday shopping stuff, Christmas traditions, looking forward to that one, Ukraine, Marine Atlantic. James is going to paint a picture of some health care concerns in other parts of the country. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Uh, line number two. Uh, Rob, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty, and happy tips to you. Very same to you. Thank you, Rob. Okay, so I just wanted to... Uh, I moved back from Fort Mac there in, uh, two and a half years ago. And we've lost, um, I think it's a, a, around a dozen family members. And um, But uh, family tradition is, since I got back, was to build a manger from just natural wood and boughs and stuff like that and, and put it outside the house and um, just honor the memory. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. Um, but just in memory of all the people we've lost. So you say you've lost a dozen people, uh, a part of your family. So over the years or recently, or what's happening? Just recently, like in the last two and a half years, we've lost a dozen family members and friends. And uh, it's just hard to get around. I'm not a Christmas person. I, to tell you the truth, I hate this time of the year um, just because it's commercialized. It's, I, just, I just hate this time of year. It, it, you know, and I try to be mindful of that, and I mentioned off the top, it's not all glowing cheeks and friendly faces and lots to eat. I mean, there's lots of people who this time of the year is not their favorite, whether it be they have some bad memories attached to this time of the year or they're struggling or their families split up or they don't have any money. Like, whatever it is, there's still tons of people that Christmas is not the merry festive time of year that it is for others. No, because we just lost another family member there just um, two days ago. So, and what um, what happened? I was just, you know, time. Um, he passed. You know, he's just 
passed away with medical conditions. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm always a caller in here and trying to get my stuff out, but I just wanted to put that out there now that it's, yeah, it's not all, it's not all holly joy for everybody. No, well, whatever it takes, I hope you find some peace of mind through the holiday season and really appreciate you making time for the program this morning, Rob. I wish you well, and I know Merry Christmas might not be the sentiment that makes a difference to you, but I hope that you find an opportunity to catch a smile, catch a break, and decompress over the holidays, however that works out. Yeah, and like I said, um, so what I do after my mother-in-law passed away, I I build a nativity scene. Outside our house, right, and I—that's my tradition. Now, every year, I'm building this nativity scene for her outside her house, and I also want to just uh, um, just give a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to everybody out in Seal Cove because that's where we're too. And uh, have a great year. The same to you. Thank you, Rob. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, let's keep going. Line number one. John, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. I just got a little thing there now. Back in November, I went out and I bought a, a gift for my son, right? It was one of those little power boosters, like for boosting batteries, right? Mm-hmm. The, pro- the price was $127, right, plus tax. Right? I got the flyer the other day, the same store. On sale, twenty five percent off, regular price, one hundred and forty nine ninety nine. You talked about how the stores are ripping people off. So, give us the disparity in price one more time. It was one twenty seven regular price? Yeah, right. That was back in November, the first week of November, right? Now I got the flyer the other day, the same booster, same model, everything else, right? Twenty five percent off. Regular price. Now it's one forty nine ninety seven. Yeah, I mean, I think if people like some people uh, get very judgmental when it comes to waiting late in the day to finalize your Christmas shopping, but I guarantee you the retailers are doing whatever they can to blow stuff out the door these days. They had a lot of inventory, of course, with the. Issues regarding inflation and cost of living and interest rate hikes and what have you. I'm not sure what the national spend will look like, but I guarantee you today and tomorrow there's going to be some deals to be had. And yes, the retailers are making off like bandits oftentimes. But that's not a, that's not a deal. No, it's not a deal. I, it's more I, expensive. I, I, yeah, it's ripping people off. Because I got a regular price back in November for 127 now Yeah, and same a regular price with 25% off for 149 Yep. Yeah. Now, I don't know what the, you know, when they purchased that unit that you bought back uh, in the fall versus what and where this came from now. I like I don't know all the inputs at that uh, that particular retailer, but it sure feels like they're doing very well. If twenty five percent off is still twenty odd bucks more than you spent uh, a couple of months ago. Not even a couple of months, only a few weeks ago. Okay, a few weeks ago. <laughs> right, I bought it early uh, November, probably around the tenth of November, in the same store. Right, this is how, uh, uh, like I was saying, the way the big box stores are ripping people off, and then you wonder why nobody's shopping in Newfoundland. Right, like you're able to order stuff online and get it shipped here cheaper than what's in the store. Sometimes, yep. 
Oh, nearly all the time. I try to spend money locally when possible. I'll take the extra step to see if I can get the product I want at the price I'm willing to pay. And if I can, and there's something about it for me. Look, people do whatever they want with their own money, of course. For me, there's also the sense of customer service. I can reach out and touch you figuratively if something goes wrong with the product and what have you. Some of the unknowns, like I don't do much online shopping. Well, I don't do much shopping anyway, to be honest with you. But like, I don't even understand how people buy so much clothes online. I'm one of those people that wouldn't mind trying it on or actually picking it up and looking at it and talking to the representative in the store about the track record of the product and read some reviews and stuff. But to each their own, right? Yep. That is all about the price. The people are looking at the price today. It's not where, it's, uh, where you're going to buy it. It's all about the price. I suppose. For many, it is. Many, it is. Yep. All right? Because it's very expensive in Newfoundland to live right now. It is that. All right. They say about Ontario expensive and everything else. I worked in Ottawa there last year, and the food in Ottawa was more expensive than what's in Newfoundland. Ontario is an expensive province. Now, I suppose it depends on where exactly you're living. But, you know, if you factor everything in, food, rent, the cost of the, the price to buy a home, and up and down the line and transportation and parking and stuff, there's a big laundry list of things that I would consider if I was looking at moving to Toronto or Oshawa or Ottawa or anywhere else. Yep. And like I said, the biggest expense in Newfoundland is the fuel, fuel prices. Because I was in Ottawa for eight months last year it went up three cents for the whole summer that i was there and it went up like 85 cents in this one mm-hmm. right i can't figure it out right gas is gas there's more demand for gas in ontario than in Newfoundland. yeah uh, it's not a hundred percent uh retail demand side issue that uh, drives the prices of those types of fuels, but there is no justification between what we're paying here versus even in other parts of Atlantic Canada. I can't figure out for the life of me what the PUB is up to. Me neither. That should never be there. You should get rid of it. It's not doing nothing. All right? It's only costing you more money. you got to pay them for nothing. Right. Yeah, it's certainly hard to follow along and understand exactly what they're up to all the time. The prices change so, uh, pr- so repeatedly that... You know, what once was a fairly predictable Wednesday has now become a who knows. Like, I might show up to work any day of the week and say, what, the price is up or down again? Like, what's going on here? And sometimes... You know, why? Why? Because they passed it over to the government. Right? It wasn't the government after that. The first of it was doing it. But the government doesn't set the price. Well, they uh, they picked the people that's putting them there. In the B, uh, in the B, uh, whatever it is. The PUB, yep. Yeah. Yeah, right. Who's paying them? Yeah, okay, fair enough. I'm not going to get into that argument. But, I mean, imagine if politicians were setting the price. What a mess that would be. Oh, that'd be bigger. Absolutely. That'd be ridiculous. Right. Yep. Oh, I agree there. Anyhow, i got to go. I'm on my way. All the best. <laughs> Have a good holiday. And you too. Merry Christmas you and your listeners. Same to you, John. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, uh, those of you in the queue, stay right there. We're going to get to you right after this break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number five. Tim, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Doing very well. Thanks. How about you? Hello? I said I'm doing very well. Thank you. How about you? Oh, sorry. I couldn't hear you there. No problem. Uh, No, Patty. uh, I guess first and foremost, uh, for that gentleman, Rob, who's hurting this time of year, I just want to send out a Merry Christmas and uh, I hope hope you get through this year. 
with close family and friends by your side and that uh, there's always someone there to reach out to to help during the difficult times. I know uh, I know a lot of people are hurting in this province and I've been there myself just when I was a younger man. So I just wanted to let him know that uh, I'm thinking about him and uh, God bless him. So um, uh, with that, uh, no, uh, the reason I'm calling this morning is I've got a brother and his missus who are stuck on the ferry outside of Port of Basque looking at the shore. Wondering if there's somebody that can uh, let me know when my uh, my my dear brother is going to get on uh, on some dry land here coming in from Nova Scotia. We actually sent a, a note off to the communications manager, Marine Atlantic, Daryl Mercer, to see if he can give us an update on this. I open up their website just a few minutes ago, and there's a ferry yep. tracker there, and they've got some forecasted uh, landing times. But so is he on the Highlanders? Or on the blue petite. I'm not sure which. To be honest with you, I don't know which one he's on. I, I apologize. I should have had that information for you. Uh, I, I, I emailed you a picture that he sent me from the from the deck chair. So uh, he, uh, yeah. So I guess it's him and a lot of other people are stuck. He went down and because uh, he got some cats aboard, and there's a lot of dogs aboard. So I'm a big animal advocate as well. So we got to consider that, not just the people that are on board and. Uh, yeah, no, if I could get some answers or somebody could put something out there from a Marine Atlantic, I'd greatly appreciate it. Just uh, just a little bit concerned, obviously, for family members there, as are everybody. So. Yeah, I just saw the photo. It's actually a nice photo, but it's not, it's not nice to be stuck out there. We don't even know no. why they're stuck. So right, it says right no. here, uh, arrivals at Port of Basque, the Blue Potees at 11.45 Island Time. So yeah. I don't know if there's anything has changed. I don't know either. I, I, uh, the original message from him wasn't that there was something wrong on the dock side in Port of Basque. I don't know what that was. If there was, you know, I don't know if there was an accident, if there was some damage. I don't know. I really have no answers. I apologize. If I do find some answers, I, I will email them to you, and that way you can get it out to Joe Public there and uh, probably put some other people's uh, minds at ease as well. Well, just stay with me. Linda Swain just popped yeah. into my booth here uh, to okay. say that she's got some information that she's going to zip over to me quickly. And yep. we'll see if we can get uh, people some information. So what do you got planned for Christmas yourself, Tim? Me? Oh, I, <laughs> uh, Patty, I actually am a, I'm, I'm a big uh, family guy. So we're just going to stay at home. We got some family coming in from Bermuda, which is nice. Going to be sitting at our table this year. Uh, my, my, uh, my mom and dad have passed. God bless them. Um, and we're missing our mother-in-law, my mother-in-law this year. What a wonderful woman. She passed away last year. I, I loved her with a heart and a half. And my, my father-in-law is going to be with us, and that's probably the kindest gentleman I've ever met in my entire life. So he'll be at my at my, at my my table this year. My wife, my daughter, uh, I've got uh, my brother and his missus are coming home. I've got two other brothers. I've got a sister in Ontario and a sister here. So it's all about family. It's all about friends. I'll be, I just finished breakfast with a couple of boys that I used to uh, uh, work with in the construction industry before I retired from that. And uh, I got a lot of hockey buddies that I'll be in contact with, and shortly we'll be getting together and having a drink and a, and a good time over the holidays. So it's family, it's friends, and reaching out to whoever needs any help. And uh, in my capacity in the construction industry and now in this new industry I'm in, I always put my uh, my name out there, my phone number out there. If anybody is in need, anybody who needs just to go have a coffee and chat and clear the air, I always try and do that for as many people as I can and uh, give back to 
whoever needs it because I can tell you when I was a young man growing up, I didn't have a whole lot. So uh, people looked after me, and I'm looking after as many as I can as well. So Bravo. Loved to hear it, and your yeah. holiday plans are very similar to mine. Cup of you know time with family, not a whole lot planned for on the party front. To be honest with you, of course no. I've got my my standard visits with my closest pals that we we Absolutely. never miss out. Come with the old hockey buddies and stuff. So that's yeah. great, Tim. Here's the fairy info. I'm reading right now. This is an update that we just had from Marine Atlantic. There's some okay. uncertainty as to the arrival time for the Blue Potis stuck just outside Port of Basque with mechanical issues. 446 passengers are on board. It was supposed to dock this morning, but they've got some generator issues. So technicians are working to fix the problem, but there's some uncertainty remains as to when the vessel is actually going to be able to make port. So they're working out some kinks with mechanical issues, so no real firm update as to when you're going to be able to get off of that boat or your brother. They got a storm blow, uh, blowing up their behind there too, right? Yeah, that's so right. That the reason he was supposed to come in and leave Saturday, and then uh, I've got a, a nephew who's a meteorologist, uh, and uh, so he kept us up to date. And then they were going to go Friday, but that was cutting it close. So they they really scrambled to get on this ship there last night, and uh, so they, yeah, they 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 got to be careful. That's a nasty old storm coming through there. So and it, and it's going to be depending on where you're too, you know, what you get for wind, the snow, rain, sleet, the work. So. Yeah, we got we got the that's that's got to be a concern for them as well, like right there on the on the open water like that. So, hopefully the technicians can beat the weather because you're absolutely right. That's going to be a perilous spot to be potentially stuck if they don't have the generators working optimally, so they can make port and let everyone get to where their final destination may be. Tim, great to have you on this morning. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Merry Christmas to you. I'll I'll leave you with this. Go Montreal Canadiens. Go. Love it. <laughs> Take care of yourself, my friend, and enjoy your Christmas. You too, Tim. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Let's keep rolling here. Line number six. James, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Hey, I just wanted to say Newfoundland and Labrador is blessed to have you. You're <laughs> acting as uh, people's father, uncle, uh, preacher, bartender, barber, um, psychologist. <laughs> All wrapped up in one, and mental health expert, probably to put a cherry on top of it as well. I appreciate uh, the kind words. I don't know if I'm any of those things, but I'll I'll take it this morning. <laughs> well, you are, my friend. Uh, I, I've had a chance to listen to you for a little while, and I've always loved the the conversations that you allow to kind of pursue through uh, people's uh, commentaries and and ob- uh, observations and objectives. Uh, and it, it's it, it's good to have, right? It's it's important that people have some vehicle to be able to, uh, uh, you know, to present their their cases. And I and the reason I prompted me to call in today was part of the conversation around healthcare. And there was a few of your callers that were quite frustrated with uh, the government. And 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 I just wanted to add a little bit of content context in in so far as you know this issue that we're dealing with right now. Um, it is not only located to one jurisdiction. It's, it's spread across all of Canada, and not only the Canada, around the world. You know, there, there's a very finite, almost uh, um, a capacity to find human resources for the healthcare systems. Um, we in Canada probably did not, did not do ourselves any favors uh, by having our healthcare system basically even pre-COVID running at a probably a 98 or 99% threshold. You know, we all saw uh, hallway medicine and we saw the challenges that were presented there. But like any 
storm cloud, I think that the opportunity presents itself that now maybe more than ever, uh, we have the opportunity to, to change how we have viewed uh, healthcare, and, and, and maybe it's time to knock down some of those old FISMs that have been there for an extended period of time. I think, uh, you know, we've seen certainly seen what the doctors um, and how they've protected their own uh, enterprises for a very long period of time, and, and, and it has gone away from patient-first and patient-friendly to practitioner-friendly. And, and, you know, it's, it's harder and harder nowadays, if you will, to, to get physicians to come to, to remote and rural areas. Um, but I think to that, um, there is the opportunity, if given enough um, leeway, for, for technology to play a role in this, right? And so, um, as I say, I think it's time that we, and I think maybe when the premiers all get a chance to meet with the prime minister, this is a place where we'll have some really deep-rooted discussions as to what what transpires and how we can break down some of these institutions that have stood the, you know, there for a period of time and have now found the necessity for change because it isn't necessarily representing those. And and I will be somewhat critical of, of not necessarily the healthcare providers, uh, but of the unions that represent some of these individuals. You know, certainly I think we have all known people in the field who who certainly a lot has been asked of them in the last little while, and they are providing uh, uh, you know huge efforts. However, it's, it's to me it, it kind of represents uh, this is an opportunity where you know the old British adage uh, keep calm and carry on. You know, like there's no sense in in just representing where we are in Western Canada. Here, I I often think of it on those days when we used to haul um, grains or barley, and barley is probably one of the most itchy um, items that you can ever be around. And on our farm, we happened to have a, the occasion to haul it in the middle of summer when it was the hottest possible temperatures. It was typically right around that 30-degree mark, uh, and you were going to be hot for at least the whole week because you were shoveling the grain and hauling it to the, to the marketplace. And the last thing I needed was on the first day after two hours of being in a bin, uh, having somebody come up to me and say, well, you must be tired. You, you're tired, right? You're tired. <laughs> well, clearly state the obvious, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, that, that's the level of frustration I have, I think, with some of the, the leadership within the unions, because clearly we know. But, you know, I, I guess there's a certain amount of frustration that I have that with some of the um, maybe older nurses and, and, and healthcare providers that have decided to kind of walk away, if you will. Uh, we had, as a as a country, decided to m- more times than not pay them quite well for their service. And unfortunately, when times from that, came tough, From that day all the way through when my father died. I'm not sure what that was, James. Well. <laughs> that just chimed in out of nowhere in my headset as well. You know, the so-called reimagination of healthcare. If it was simply about money, this country would be in far better shape. Uh, positive health care outcomes would be much higher than they are currently today. Sure. So, you know, I don't even know where to start. We've got to do away with some of the provincial boundaries and the jurisdictional strongholds that provinces had. Like we had a guy uh, this morning talk about locums. 
Some doctors are not willing to do it anymore because of the cost and the time and the paper warfare they have to go through to simply offer their services. So that's one. Secondly, the federal government has got to stop shrugging its shoulders at health care. I know the transfer dollar debate is going to be ongoing for a while. Currently, they cover around 22%. Provinces want 35%. The feds generally say, you know, there's got to be some strings attached. There's got to be some national guidance here. We pat ourselves on the back to the point where we dislocate our shoulders because of universal health care. <laughs> but if it's not working, then why throw money at a broken system? We've just got to figure it out. In this province, I think we're going to make meaningful change with the recommendations, or at least some of them, coming from the health accord work. Because if people simply think all we have to do is spend more and more money, then they're just kind of missing the point. We spend about a third of the budget here on health care, and we're not doing that well. So let's step back and make sure we try to do better, use modern technology, maybe talk more about preventative medicine versus reactive medicine, which is where we are as a country with health care. We do very little to keep you out of hospital. It's when you get sick, we, we bring you in the hospital. The most expensive night in the country is a night in the hospital. Oh, so true, and 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 you have articulated the, the that position well. You know, uh, we do need to revisit it how how doctors work, and clearly, I think what we're hearing is doctors want to work with some kind of support system behind them. Right? They need to have. They can't be on call twenty four hours a day, and and that's and that's the element. And sometimes, even us in 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 the community need to know that. We can't just pick up the phone and go to. But to this this point, you're you, you're absolutely right about how um, we need to try and avoid our our necessity for instant uh, attain uh, information running to the emergency ward. Right. So right now, I have a couple of uh, newly landed Ukrainian uh, refugees. I'll call them. Right. And and. The trials and tribulations that these this family has gone through, um, while in Ukraine, uh, being bombed, literally bombed, and, and the terror and the horror that is quite evident on their faces from that experience. And then when I go to an emergency ward, and I've had to do that in the last month, and I see people who have self-polluted uh, themselves and now want somebody else to fix them, right? Well, I'm sorry, did you need to drink as much as you did and then walk into that wall? You know, and, and, and it, it just, we've got a, a segment of society that thinks that they can have no consequence to their action and that everybody else must come behind and, and, and pick up their their toll. And, and yet, when, when we have people who truly, and, you know, this is the Christmas season, and we all need to show gratitude for what we have. And I think at times we forget that. The greatest element about being in Canada is our freedom. Our freedom. Our freedom cannot be lost. Because I've had people who even have been from mainland China. And, you know, one can say we're that that they uh, had always that connection with China. And, 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 and the issue is, is that even to them, they will come back and they will say quietly to me, why do we love Canada? We know it's a cold place. Right now, today, outside of my door, it's minus 35. But why do we love Canada? We love Canada because 
within one generation and with education, you can do anything you want. You can do you can be anything you want. We have freedom. Let us not forget that. Well, sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle. The last couple of years have been a strain, I will call it. I'm really late for the news, James, but I appreciate making time all the way from Saskatoon. It's a great town. I've had a lot of good times in Saskatoon, to be honest. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear. And like I said, I, I, I think you're um, a real treasure for the people of Newfoundland Labrador. And as I will say to you, all the best. Uh, merci beaucoup and uh, très bien, my friend. Very bien. Merry Christmas to you. Bon. Okay, bye-bye. There we go. Let's get to the break. Do not go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Randy, you're on the air. Good morning, sir. Morning to you. Yeah, Patty, uh, you know, it's hard to talk about something as unpleasant as this war in Ukraine, especially this time of the year, but... uh, Sometimes things had to be said, you know. But uh, I want to I, I want to talk specifically uh, about what happened over there in uh, in Istanbul, Turkey, in March and April of this year concerning this war. Now, this was an international story at the time, but it wasn't given much publicity, uh, not what it deserved. Uh, most of the people I talked to over the last six months never even heard about this. But uh, I'm going to tell you what happened last spring over there. Back in March and April of this year, believe it or not, both Russia and Ukraine negotiating teams were set down at the negotiating table in Istanbul, Turkey, negotiating, uh, negotiating a deal to put an end to this war. Now, this was reported in the mainstream press, uh, even in the United States. I've seen it at the time on MSNBC. As a matter of fact, both sides were so far along in this peace agreement that both Zelensky and Putin were scheduled to meet face-to-face in Istanbul, Turkey, in April to put the final touches on this peace deal, put an end to this war. But uh, it didn't materialize, because something very interesting happened, something very telling. At the 11th hour, Zelensky suddenly backed out of this deal. Now, at first it was a mystery. Why did this happen? But then the news in the Ukraine and the rest of Europe reported what had actually happened. Uh, what happened was the United States found out about this secret peace deal and went berserk. That's what happened. But before I tell you what the Biden administration did, let me give you... Well, how much big... How much truth is behind all of that, Randy? Patty, this is, this is, this is coming out of the mainstream media, but it wasn't, it wasn't given a lot of publicity. It was just kept low-key. Now, let me tell you what the Biden administration did. Just give me the basics uh, before what they did. The basics of this peace deal came out. You could read it. You can go online and look it up. I saw it, but, I mean, I see lots of stuff online that is hard to actually verify. Okay. Well, when you got people like Noam Chomsky and Chris Hedges and Aaron Matti coming out and giving you these details, these people are not lying. They're public intellectuals. They tell you the truth. In this settlement, Russia had agreed to pull back its forces to its pre-February 24th position. That's the day that the the Russian military crossed over the border into Ukraine, the day it all started. In return, the Ukraine would allow Russia to maintain control over the Crimea and the Russian-speaking parts of the Donbass with some details to be worked out. The Ukraine also agreed to remain neutral and not join NATO. Now, this was very important. 
to give this concession because this assured Russian security, which, which is what this war is all about. Now, this is just a basic of what, uh, of what both sides had signed off on. But then the U.S. stepped in, and they immediately sent, get this, former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson on an emergency flight to Kiev in the Ukraine to meet with uh, President uh, Zelensky. The Ukrainians didn't even know he was coming until he showed up on the, on the doorstep. Now, you know, this was reported in the United States in Foreign Affairs magazine by uh, Fiona Hill. She was a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute. But she didn't report what the U.S. instructed Boris Johnson to say that was covered in other news outlets uh, throughout Europe. Boris Johnson delivered an ultimatum to Zelensky on behalf of the U.S. and England in no uncertain terms. He told Zelensky that if he continued with this peace agreement, all bets are off. He wouldn't receive any more security guarantees from the West. No more military support, no more economic support, no more nothing. Case closed. Zelensky had no choice but to withdraw from these peace talks, and a few days later, the agreement was abandoned. Now, not only that, but Johnson also told President Zelensky that if he insisted on going through with the agreement, that uh, neither the United States or England would support it. Now, there's your peace-loving countries. There's your bastions of freedom and democracy. The war could have been stopped dead in its tracks eight months ago, Patty, but they wouldn't do it. Now, since that time, over 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed and 20,000 civilians lost their lives. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? This is what happened. Now, let me tell you something else, one more thing. Uh, i got another piece of information for you. About a month ago, the American military chief of staff, General Mark Milley, had a sit-down meeting with President Joe Biden. In that meeting, he advised Biden that this war with Russia couldn't be won militarily, that the Ukraine has come as far as it could militarily and has no choice but to sue for peace and sit down with Vladimir Putin and bring an end to this war through diplomacy and negotiations. Now, why didn't we hear about this here? In the never heard about it. Only about a month ago, I was told. Uh, never came out on CNN, MSNBC. It wasn't reported. Most of the people listening here right now, they don't know. They don't know it either. So why, why, why do things have to go like this? This war could be over eight months ago. Well, I mean, I don't know why people didn't report it. I'm no, sure see, the, the mainstream media wouldn't report in the United States. The big players, CNN, MSNBC, and they get hundreds of millions of people listening to these. But it all came out in the in the, the smaller network stations. Might have mentioned it, but it was uh, just put to bed. They they wouldn't report it. Oh, okay. So you know that's that's really something to think about. That you know, did you hear anything about it yourself? Yeah, and I mean, I read some of this stuff, but of course, the the, the exact same time you read. Some of these links that I've clicked to try to, and I have admitted I've kept one eye on the war because I got a lot on my plate. But yeah. uh, as soon as you see someone reporting some of this stuff, you'll see someone refuting it. And I think well, I've really struggled personally trying to find out which way is up regarding any of the information coming out of Ukraine. There are so many contradictions and conflicting stories and rumors and reports and videos and manipulation that I'm not really sure I know what the hell is going on. Well, I was surprised when I, I turned on the Fox News Network one day and I seen uh, Tucker Carlson 
uh, give this exact story I just give to you. That's now a poor source of information, to be honest. Pardon? That's an right. extremely poor source of information. Yeah, yes, but it's not only Tucker Carlson. The only time you get the Fox News Network to tell the truth is when there's a uh, Democratic uh, president in the White House. If this was Donald Trump in the White House, you would never hear Tucker Carlson open his mouth. CNN would come in and tell the same story, MSNBC. Because this is the way it is. The networks, well, Fox News, and we know what it is. It's a mouthpiece for the Republican Party. And so is CNN, MSNBC, and all the other ones for the Democrats. That's the way it works. But you only get to... I don't watch cable news, but... And I know there's lots of Fox supporters here in the province, but don't take it from me. Take it from Fox... Uh, Carlson and their lawyers, when he was defending himself with a, at a defamation suit, they basically said, just like Sidney Powell said, no one in their right mind should trust anything that comes out of his mouth. I didn't say that. He said it. And his lawyer said it. So people should take what he says with a grain of salt. His pro-Putin stance is pretty enthralling to watch. It's uh, <laughs> highly well, questionable stuff. Randy, last word to you very only, quickly. Okay, i got to go. The only time you'll get the truth to come out of these people is when it's to their benefit. Other than that, you won't get it. And in this case here... It's to the benefit of the Republican Party, who are not in power, but would like to be. God forbid. Uh, fair enough. I appreciate the time, Randy. You take yeah. care over the holidays. Merry Christmas, sir. All the best to you. Bye-bye. You too. All right, let's get that break in. Don't do, If you're in the queue, don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number eight. Good morning, Murray. You're on the air. Morning, buddy. Welcome to the show, Murray. Merry Christmas to you, too. Uh, I'm over here on the southwest coast, Burnt Islands. My house was destroyed, the bottom floor, by Fiona. Everything. Two bedrooms, laundry room, full laundry room. Siding gone up, you know, patio blowed up. Everything got to come apart. I got it all cleaned out, the flooring, everything. But the land has gone around the house. I can jump off my patio now and jump overboard. Yikes. And I can't get any financing from Fiona. I got one $500 credit card they gave me. I went and seen all the Red Cross people that was there. I, I've chat with every one of them, says, well, something got to be done. But the mayor came over and went around the house. He said, well, something's got to be done here. But I can't get anything. Okay, so the, when the province came forward, when people found out they didn't have insurance coverage, and it's 200 bucks per square foot of the home. There was a lady called also. She had a, a cabin close by to, uh, I think she lives in Port of Basque, and the place was strewn with all the materials from the blown-down ca- cabin. My question is, I understand how the government's approaching it, but how are we spending all of the other millions of dollars that went out, for instance, in the hands of the Salvation Army? What's going on with any of that money? That's not to say there's anything untoward happening, but it'd be nice to have an accounting of how that money's being spent, whether it could go to stuff like cleaning up what's been left behind and or some land restoration or uh, matching dollars or something or other, because at this point, we really don't know. Patty, it appears to me where a lot of the money is gone, repairing the road between Burnt Islands and Rose Blanche, stuff Department of Highway should have had it done 20 or 30 years ago. It's... Millions of dollars worth of armor stone dumped down around there. There's places in Royal Blanche, one place, there's one house down the end of a road. The Fiona water didn't get into the house or anything. I say they got $500,000 worth of armor stone dumped down in the cove. What's it all about? I'm here sitting on the water and, and can't get them to put any fell room use. Now, I had a small insurance coverage. I did have coverage from insurance, a small, I'd say about covered about a quarter. 
of my damage. I had to buy washer, dryer, deep freeze, hot water tank, two bedrooms cleaned out. I had to take everything out of my basement, wall, uh, drywall, flooring, everything. It's, it's all took out. Nothing left down there now, only the two before uprights. And everybody I talked to says, yes, something got to be done, but nothing's getting done. And I don't know who else to call. I listen to your show every day. I don't miss it. Saturday night. Party two, the cabin party two. So I said, I'll call Patty and see if there's anything he knows or what. I, I don't know, and I wish I did. I know how the money got spent to do some road and bridge repair and what have you, and I know the $30 million-ish that the government has for it for replacing or rebuilding homes, but I have no idea how they're approaching things like this sort of absence between or the lapse between your insurance coverage and what it's going to cost to clean up the property. So do you have? has anyone come in to give you an idea? What it's going to take to put the property back to what it once looked like? No, all I get airs from them is there's no money for fill. That's all they'll tell me. There was a structural engineer came here. I didn't even know who he was. He going around taking pictures of the house, taking pictures of everything. I asked him, I said, who are you? Like you're taking pictures of my house, and I don't even know who you are. Well, he's a structural engineer. So. So I walk around with him then, he's taking his pictures, and when he le- he got ready to leave, I said, well, what, what do you got to say? He said, I can't tell you anything. I said, what do you mean, my house, you can't tell me anything? No, he said, all oh, this got to go to the office. That's the last I've heard of him. Another lady, when I come, she was she was in the door frame. I said, what are you doing? Who are you? Like, she said, I'm looking for water damage. Like, the door, everything went in through the basement. She said, I'm looking for water damage. She turned and went on. See, one of those big gray fish containers, Patty, the four before ones, Mm -hmm. I said there was about 2,000 pounds of lid foot roll in the box. The sea picked it up, brought it about, I'd say, 30 feet across the lawn, and it smashed into the door. It took the frame, the door, and the concrete right in through the basement. Uh, Well, then she flooded and I, I was, I say I was 10 days trying to clean it up. I didn't even know what day it was. I had to go outdoors. I couldn't get down the basement from the steps. I had to go outdoors and work my way in through. And I can't get no nothing from no one. Boy, I wish I could point you in the right direction. But so the fella says that he can't tell you, the homeowner, the property owner, any information, which is a strange stance to take in the first place. Have you ever been able to find out what was written and the pictures that were taken of your property? No, sir. You don't even know where it is. He said, I can't tell you anything. Just mm. got to go to the office. I've had an adjust. There was a adjuster here last week. Went down the basement, went all through. Seen much. You know, I got it all cleaned up now, but I got nothing put back. Only the electrical washer and that stuff. Murray, you say it's gone to the office. What office? Pardon? Well, you say the information has uh, had to go to the office. What's well, the office? office? I guess he meant. He okay. Was, he told me he was a structural engineer. He said, I can't tell you anything. Bizarre. So, look, I don't know where to turn. And I'll tell you now, the land now, Patty, is about 45-degree angle from my house down to the low water mark, about 10 feet. So when the hoist comes the winter, which we get every winter, that's going to be smashing into my house again. And the small insurance claim that I had, now that I had a claim... That's cancelled. One-time thing. 
has uh, Mayor Button been of any assistance to help you know, understand like where the office is, whether that's a private engineering company, whether it was with the province, whether it was with his office or MNL or anybody? Does can he give you any info? Well, I haven't talked to well, our own mayor was here. He said something got to be done, so I didn't. I just figured I just let it, let 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 take its own course. I figured it would be done. You yeah. Know? I shouldn't have to be fighting for politicians and radios to get get done what should be done here. But I don't know who else to turn to. Well, let me do some follow-up, Murray. Uh, we've had great success trying to get information from different municipal leaders on the southwest coast, so I'll go right to Mayor Button's office and see if he can help me understand exactly what the process was, where this office is, and who has the information. I'll do that much for you. Okay, sir. I'll let you know what I find out. Okay, you think Montreal Canadians are going to clone... Marner and Matthews? I wish they could. <laughs> Man, although okay, I like I like some of the young guys in Montreal, but boy, Marner's on a burner this year. Yeah, yeah, he'll come back. <laughs> He's beauty. Thanks, Murray. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, let's see if we can figure that out, Dave. Uh, before we get to the news, let's go to line six. Penny, you're on the air. Oh, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Well, first of all, I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and all the best for the for New Year. The very same to you, Penny. Thank you. And I'd like to say a special Merry Christmas to the doctors and nurses and physio and everybody on the uh, uh, orthopedics board in James Payton Hospital. I was the lady that was in there, and uh, you hooked me up with the son of a patient that I was in the same room with. Oh, yes. Okay. Did that work out? Yes, I did. I did get a contact with the, the son. Oh, good. His mother was his mother was still in in uh, St. John's. I'm going to give him a call now over Christmas to see if she made it home. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you because without you, I would never know. And uh, just goes to show you the power of open line. <laughs> well, I'm glad that worked out. I remember the call, and so you didn't have a chance to say a proper goodbye, and that came about. So that's great news. Yes, I called him. I called him that same same evening, and uh, we had a great chat. That's great. And his mother was doing good, and and she was hoping to get out, out of the the Miller Center at the end of November. So I'm hoping she did get out, and she's home with her family for Christmas. Yeah, let's hope so. And how you doing? Uh, well, <laughs> I I finally got my uh, I out of the hospital, and they put this big old splint on my leg. It's like a cast, but it's not. It comes off, and uh, I had it took off when. Tuesday by the physio guy comes to visit me at home and uh, like yesterday my leg ballooned up and this morning it ballooned up so I got the cast put the split put back on hoping it'll go down again so but other than that I'm doing you know I'm doing pretty good well I'm glad to hear that and I'm glad it worked out (laughs) well hopefully it doesn't slow you down over the holidays and into the future Penny I appreciate the update this morning Okay, thank you, and, and like, once again, Merry Christmas to everybody at VOCM. Same to thank you, Penny. You. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let's get a break. When we come back, Daryl Mercer from Marine Atlantic is in the queue. I've heard what might be happening with the putties, but we'll hear it live from Daryl right after this. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number five. Say good morning to the Corporate Communications Manager with Marine Atlantic. That's Daryl Mercer. Good morning, Daryl. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. What's happening with the putties? 
Well, I wish uh, I could provide some better news, but unfortunately, uh, the Blue Petis was approaching Portabas this morning and experienced a generator issue. Um, they've been trying to fix it for the past uh, few hours, but unfortunately, uh, they haven't had any success to this point. The captain's made the decision now that they're going to return to North Sydney. Um, they're going to continue to troubleshoot on the return crossing with the hopes that they'll be able to return to Port of Basque. But with the weather system that's coming in this evening um, and having that generator problem from a safety perspective, uh, the decision was made to return to North Sydney. And I know that's terrible news for anybody right now that's on the vessel and family and friends that uh, are waiting for loved ones to get home. So we certainly apologize for this massive inconvenience at this time of year. So was this an issue that affected the bow thruster, as I've been yeah. told? It's, the, the generator controls a number of the uh, the key components used for the docking process, so bow thrusters would be one of the vital pieces that they are required in Port of Basque Harbor. So unfortunately, without the uh, the generator uh, availability, that would uh, impact the docking perspective from a safety from a from a safety angle. And so there's a difference in docking in North Sydney and the requirement for bow thrusters. Yeah, in Port of Basque Harbor, there's some additional constraints, uh, particularly Verdi's Island. That's in the middle of the harbor, so uh, there has to be a, a maneuver made by the vessel to back into the dock uh, for, for when, when they're using that process. And obviously in North Sydney, it's more of a, a clear, straight uh, straight path into the dock. So uh, we're, the captain is more more comfortable at this stage returning to North Sydney and, uh, and docking there. Uh, but again, our hope is that over the next few hours during the return crossing that they'll be able to troubleshoot the problem and be able to return to Port of Basque. But there's still a significant amount of uncertainty right now. What kind of weather window do you have for that possibility to return to Port of Basque? Well, the storm system is uh, anticipated to move in later this evening, so the winds will start to pick up. Um, it's the crossing time between North Sydney and Port of Basque. We're looking at approximately six hours. So there's a little bit of time that we have before the system moves in. But again, um, the captain wants to make sure that he can get back to North Sydney at this stage uh, from a safety perspective. Was Argentia a consideration? Uh, Argentia is not staffed right now at this time of year, so uh, obviously we'd have to bring in people, and that would take a much uh, much longer period of time. And uh, with the storm system uh, only hours away, we certainly wouldn't be able to mobilize that quickly. We talk about a lot of the travel woes, certainly with uh, air travel in the last few days, and compensation for passengers. Is there anything of the sort on the other side in North Sydney when they arrive, if, if indeed that's where they land? Well, the, the challenge that we have right now is is the storm system that's moving in. So this this evening's crossings and tomorrow morning's crossings are canceled. Now we're hoping that uh, there's going to be improvement in the weather as we move through tomorrow. So our hope is that the tomorrow night's crossings will be able to uh, to move forward as scheduled. Uh, but the inconvenience that uh, is being caused right now, we we know most of these people are traveling home for Christmas. So it's it's certainly uh, the time frame involved here is is terrible. Uh, we feel really really. Um, you know, at, at, at nature's mercy right now from a, a weather perspective. But again, the inconvenience that's being caused to people is certainly uh, is certainly not something that we want to uh, have people deal with this time of year. So just to be clear, when I arrive, if I was on the vessel, I get to North Sydney, do I get any food vouchers or accommodation coverage or anything of the like? Well, that's going to be something that our customer experience uh, team is going to look at in the uh, in the next several hours. Um, again, this was an unanticipated uh, mechanical issue that uh, impacted us this morning. So there's some discussions and planning that has to happen in the hours ahead. And again, we're still holding out hope that we might be able to find a solution to this problem over the next couple of hours and during the return crossing. Um, so again, there's still some uncertainty, but um, you know the, the captain has made what he felt is the best decision at this point. I'm not. I know it's not what the pastors and their families waiting for them to arrive in uh, the province wanted to hear, but I appreciate the update this morning. They're all the same. 
great. Thanks, Patty. Take good care. Bye-bye. Gerald Mercer, communications, the corporate communications manager with Marine Atlantic. Nope, that's not what they wanted to hear. And I would imagine there's an upset boatload, 446 passengers aboard the Blue Potees heading back to North Sydney. Let's go to line seven. Avery, you're on the air. Morning, Patty. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. A little recuperating here. What's going on? Uh, oh, I just had some uh, hospital stay and some surgery. But uh, I want to, I want to give a. Uh, you had a previous caller saying, and we are certainly lucky to have you in open line, and 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 I hundred percent agree. I appreciate it. Thanks, Avery. So, how's the recovery going? I figure uh, it's. Uh, well, I'll just give you a little update here. I did spend uh, eleven days in 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 the hospital, and uh, it uh, is going for a bouquet of the flowers. I'd say I'd I'd, uh, I'd give them a field of flowers, not a bouquet. Uh, it was amazing, amazing what what I the attention and how everyone worked inside the organization. In my opinion, I'm glad to hear it, and I say it all the time. You know, the wait times are frustrating and very worrisome, but once you get in there, by and large, you get the bedside manner and the professional treatment that we all deserve when we're in the system. So once you're in it, it's all good. It's the struggle to get in in the first place. Yes, it certainly is, but uh, I've been in the queue, as you say, for a while, uh, over the last uh, 11 11 years or so. I've had uh, three hip replacement surgeries, and uh, the doctors and the ortho team, nurses, Right down to the people that are serving the meals, man. They are unbelievable. Their personalities are like, uh, I don't know, off the charts, actually. It's, it's amazing. However however bad you felt with your pain and what's going around you, it made it so much easier. It was singing and dancing. Well, can't dance in a walker, but... Uh, <laughs> But it was 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 a great experience. Not my first, but it was uh, all of them have been the same. And this one has been over the top, I'd say. Well, hopefully it's your last, and hopefully the recovery goes as planned. And I'm sure they appreciate the bouquet to the healthcare workers because we all know full well that's not the common story. The common story is complaints about healthcare, but the pros in the system are top quality. I really appreciate this. Hope you recover in full speedily. And uh, thanks for the call this morning, Avery. You're welcome. I just got a little few minutes here left now. I'm gonna, I gotta decorate my walker here with some bells and whistles, and uh, listen a bit of Jim Reeves here. But uh, anyway, one more shout out to everybody in the healthcare system at St. Clair's this time. Health sciences before it's uh, it's fantastic actually. Thanks very much. Well, I really appreciate this, Avery. Put some bells on so they can hear you coming. I won't be be moving too fast, but I'll be coming. Fair enough. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Merry Christmas to you and your family and everybody, all your listeners. Thank you very much. Thanks, Avery. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right. It's the final break of the morning, the final break of the week, and boy, oh, boy, it's the final break of 2022. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go to line number two. Marie, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. Um, I just want to give a heads up to some listeners about the one-time top-up to the Canada Housing Benefit. Sure. Uh, I called for numerous people this morning, the 1-800 number, and what we found up front was that uh, to qualify, uh, 30% of your monthly income had to go towards your rental. 
And if you didn't fit in that category, you did not qualify for it. Yeah, so just a couple of other numbers for people to consider. So in 2021, uh, the adjusted family net income was 35000 or less for families, 20000 or less for individuals, and you're 100% right. We had a caller last week that said that her rent ate up 25% of her net family income, so she didn't, or 25%, so she didn't qualify because you need to have at least 30% going to your rent. Yes, and uh, also now, Patty, uh, just something quickly here. Uh, my dad's name was Patrick, and they called him Patty, and he passed away on December 3rd. But in his eyes, you were his idol, uh, faithfully, every day for last so many years, from 9 till noon, everything was Patty, and if anybody was talking, he had to be quiet. And, uh, and actually, he was in his last stage of dementia, and even on weekends, he used to say, I'm putting Patty online now. And I say, no, Dad, it's Saturday and Sunday. He said, well, what do you mean? He's not on today? And he was so frustrated with his dementia because you weren't on every day. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, but I appreciate the fact that he enjoyed and tuned into the program. So that much is nice to hear. Yes, and, and also quickly, too, I want to say about Western Health. I mean, I've been in situations with my dad at the hospital emerge, and the hour wait is, is like 12 hours. But at the end of the day, like when you get in, they tend to you so good. And Western Health, my dad had a social worker, and they were so helpful providing some necessity items he needed, like depends and bed pads and whatever I needed. And they were so helpful, and they all the way for us and it made such uh made it easy for us and they're good people <laughs> that that's good to hear so i'm sorry when did your dad pass on december the third so first christmas without yes that's correct and uh actually uh, my sister passed away about six years ago and she said oh listen to uh, the program on saturday mornings this one's for you before they changed the name and on her monument on her grave actually is emboldened in print uh, this one's for you and we're trying to incorporate something into my dad's monument in regards to patty online so by the summer when we have a family cemetery uh, service we will have something on the monument in regards to patty online for him let me let me know when that happens will you murray I definitely will. I appreciate this. My condolences on your loss, and I wish you a happy Merry Christmas despite, and hopefully that happens for you and your family. Yes, a Merry Christmas to you and your staff. Thank Have you, Marie. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first Christmas after my dad passed. It, you know, just a real empty feeling, especially when you look to the head of the Christmas table and where he once was is no longer. It becomes difficult. I guess that's, you know, one of the... Separate issues that some people may indeed be facing this holiday season, which makes it more difficult than it might be for those of you who are festive and cherry and prepared and ready and got the cabinet stocked and the fridge stocked and ready to roll. Still got a few odds and sods left to wrap it up to be entirely prepared for my Christmas season. But 2022 has been a long year, and I think it's been a long year for most of you. Now, what constitutes long, I guess, changes in different corners. But throughout the entirety of the year, you know, the support of the program has been has been important. And it's been really important to myself and to Dave. And hopefully we're able to deliver enough information to keep you abreast and informed and give you an opportunity to come on the air to talk about the areas of concern, the questions you have, the criticisms you'd like to offer. And maybe every now and then we've heard some of these positive stories and the stray bouquet, which always makes the world go around. Uh, no, Dave, you pick one out for me. Dave's wondering if I want a Christmas song to go out on. 
and we'll do exactly that. Final check on the Twitter feed. We are VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there. If you have some emails into me at this moment in time, uh, I'm probably at 12 o'clock going to tune out and go off the grid a little bit for the holiday season. I'll check in periodically with the social media. So if you have sent me a note and you don't know uh, whether or not I've seen it, I'll respond as quick as I can, as frequently as I can over the holidays. But I just want to make sure that uh, myself and my family take a little bit of a break. I try my level best not to bring the job home because that would be no good for me and certainly not for them. So how are we doing, Dave? Did you select one out there that you want to go out on? What do we got? Okay, we're going to stick with the Carlton Show band, but very quickly. Uh, thank you very much. And I really want to say big thanks to Dave Williams, who does a lot to support this program. Everyone at the newsroom here at VOCM, the, the management throughout the building. You know, there's been some change here, although I don't really see it or feel it. The show still operates the same way, whether it was John Steele sitting at the helm or whoever it is that operates Stingray. But on behalf of myself and my family, I want to wish you and yours the very best of the season. Whatever your reason for the season, hopefully it goes off according to plan. Hopefully you find some time to decompress, find some peace. Whatever it takes to enjoy the season, please do exactly that. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Season's Greetings. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy stretch. We'll be back on the 3rd of January. Take care. God bless.